members only It's a private party Don't need no money To qualify Don't bring your checkbook Bring your broken heart Cause it's members only Say you lost your woman Say you lost your man You got a lot of problems All in your life Welcome to Thursday Stand, episode 245 And it's me, Gary P, and of course, it's the prop It's Gary Riley Good to see you in the flesh again, girl Looking fresh and well Fresh and well Cycling around Dublin in the lovely sun Um true with Calvin now? How was the experience? I'm done The first day or two were alright no they were, it was the worst but then just kind of filtered out um, went down the rabbit hole a few times but climbed back out see uh, John Conley has broken my record he has he got a four time he's on to his he did, did a Conan Bourne with it <laughs> he's got four uh, yeah so um, Leicester Credit and Ocean Electrical of course forever sponsoring us and looking after us they are fantastic check them out and google them if you have any information or you need Payday loan, or you need some electrical work done, or anything really, because Ocean Electrical do it all. Um, this week, we don't have a game to talk about, but there's a brand new members' corner with Giggsy Hand, and our author series continues with Barry Landy, who wrote Emerald Exiles, and this is a excellent interview prop. I love this type of stuff. brings me back to football manager days, yeah. and championship manager days, where you'd be looking... I'm just fascinated with Irish players abroad, and... English players abroad, just players kind of out of their comfort zone in different leagues. I love that type of thing. That's literally the first thing I would do every time I get a new football manager. I go into the search engine, search nationality Irish, based outside UK and Ireland, and I just look at the managers. I'm like, there's a man Irish manager in Australia. Yeah. Uh, there's another one in Norway. Literally. Why, why is he there now? And then you'd look into their background and you'd be like, how yeah. they got there, yeah. I remember I was seeing Pat Walker, because I remember um, I mentioned them, or I mentioned interviewing him in this interview which you'll hear later on but um, no that's a good one today yep so Prof List of Hatred has a new edition is this for you? it is yeah why in a while are well, we going to have a lightning strike? well that's it it's not officially back is it until we have the thunder and lightning effect well it's there it's just dormant yeah, yeah. it's like a volcano ready to <laughs> blow a volcano with lightning on top of it like that that video that went viral uh, what I did I added Sean Durkin to it last time didn't he because he spilled the Fanta all over <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'm adding to the list of hatred gender neutral toilets. Ooh, profit. This is controversial. Well, it's a specific thing though. Now you have to you have to break this one down. It's not because yeah. of what they are, it's probably no. more practical, I'm guessing. It's when they replace the men's toilet. That's my issue, right? If it's, if there's a women's and a men's and a gender neutral in addition, I have no problem with that. But I was at the theater. Uh, at the weekend cool and the women have their bathroom right beside the entrance very convenient I walk downstairs through the bar all the way to the back gender neutral no men's this is my only option to go to so the bathroom so describe it to me when you walk in what do yeah. you see in the gender neutral cubicles yeah uh, many two, two cubicles yeah so I walked in it's very very small I look over to the wall there's three urinals they're all they're entirely blocked off by plastic bags I looked at an elf, he looked at me and he goes, <sighs> yep. So, realistically, they probably should just build 
cubicles around them. That means you'd have five cubicles. Anything more than two would be nice. So why have they blocked off those? So well, they not- can't. You can't use urinals in a men and women's bathroom because so you could be that exposed. Makes sense. Yeah. But so I go in there. I come out. I wash my hands next to a lady. I'm just thinking. What a time to be alive. <laughs> I'm in the bathroom, washing my hands next to a lady in the in the public bathroom. Like I said, it's very small. I go over to the wall. I'm using the hand dryer. It's so small that there's no way of actually standing there and drying your hands without the door hitting off you. Yeah. So there's now six women coming out of the... Well, it's before the show. Barging in the door, trying to get in for all various reasons. And they're now crushing me against the hand dryer. For about 15 seconds. The visual here is great. And then it come out and then she goes, Oh, yeah, I had a feeling someone was there. So you just I was kept like, pushing. Yeah. Did you, yeah? You had yeah. a feeling someone was there. Kind of crushed me. <laughs> Look, you know where I'm getting at here. I do, I know where Men you're getting Men use patrooms much faster than women. We're in and out, we're quick. This is a disaster. That's what I was thinking. I don't think a lot of women would probably appreciate this. Now I can't speak for women. I'm not speaking for women, but I'd imagine they're like it's a isn't like the women's bathroom notoriously clean and their safe haven and their place to go mm-hmm. and they'll go in and they'll have the chats and stuff. I can't I'd say that's a that's after ruining an experience for a lot of women now, <laughs> the fact that you're gonna be in there. Do you know what I mean? I Do you think, get what I'm coming from? You know I'm coming I from. think both people aren't shouldn't be happy with this. At least make it larger with more cubicles. Yeah, they need to build cubicles in front of those three urinals, eh? You're lucky you didn't actually go and start going in the cubicle while it was packaged <laughs> off. It's bouncing everywhere. Um, reaction. To, so that's the Alyssa Hedrick prof. Yeah. So reaction to Bobby. Best interview. Con Murphy. Lovely interview with Bobby. These are very important in the overall history of the club. You probably won't even realise how good it is to have these oral accounts of different times in the story of Shamrock Rovers. What a lovely fella Bobby was. And well done for digging out the magnificent radio ad for Bobby Best Wedding Photography. Superb. Rest in peace, Bobby. I loved that radio ad. And the video one as well of his of his studios. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Eamon Mack, the Bobby Best interview was top class. Love that he was able to recap the whole gas saga with key bullet points. Two million put in by Rovers, which people forget. The gas, last man standing, guff. Great stuff by Bobby. Yeah, and Eamon also had reaction to the quiz. He did a perfect description of uh, Berkey, the lad who sits in the back of the class and pretends to know nothing so he doesn't get picked on. I'm telling you, he's cute as fuck. He knows, he's dead white. He's he's dead white. <laughs> he has that street smarts. But Amo was torn though because I brought back the Beatles question and he finally, someone finally got the Beatles, the names, but it's, not, it's only hard, it's only three out of four. I had to reduce it. So he... He 75% here prof he needs you to dumbed know. it down this is going to keep him awake at night now he needs to know does Graham Burke know all four members of the Beatles not just three now you need to next question needs to be naming those three and ask for the last one yeah. uh, just a quick note before I move on walking football you've obviously heard about this you see it on, yeah. advertised on the Robbers Twitter and everything uh, recently the gaffer and Glenn Cronin played a half of, of, of a game and the group told them, don't call us, we'll call you. <laughs> uh, Not for us. Yeah, so Ray Senior has been telling me a little bit about it the last few months. Uh, he's been getting amongst the goal, actually. Amongst the goals. Who's top scorer? Uh, Sharpshooter. I don't know who's, who the top goal scorer is. So I'm but, trying to get a feel for this. You, I'm guessing you can't run. And is there like... 
can do you, do you, is there something about the power you can put in the shots is it like a an unsaid thing where you can't blame it and well it, I asked him to give me a description of it just to sort of encourage people to come down he told me the following he said there's about 20 lads playing walking football on a Tuesday they warm up from half two to three they play from three to four vigorous warm up yeah and then they go out for a cup of tea and a biscuit uh, Ray says it's great crack there's no real competitiveness or anything he said it'd be great if more people came up and supported it. So, so if you're listening to this and you have whatever, an uncle, granddad, something, yeah, encourage him. Well, yeah, to, come on down. To come on down. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And speaking about our statesman, Mick McCarthy, uh, probably hasn't been involved in this because he was unwell for a long time, wasn't he? But um, he was speaking to Mick Leach about what Jim Conroy said uh, and the hotline about <laughs> comparing Mick Leach to Colombo. And uh, Leach got a great kick out of this, and he said he actually had the same coat as Colombo. Yeah, he, act- he actually is a, he's a ringer, to be fair. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, so that is the walk in football. So look it up if you're not familiar. And of course, we are always trying to push these initiatives. And I think it's I think it's a great idea. I think do you know what could be good as well. Um, I think they have the room for it. They possibly could, like a Rovers men's shed. I think we talked talked about this mm. before. You've seen pictures. Yeah. I've seen great stuff online, but Rovers men's sheds, and I think there's one in Ballybrack. There's a couple of other floating around Dublin. You see them on Facebook. They're actually really good initiatives to get men out and just together and get them to do things. And um, I think there's definitely room for a Rovers men's shed somewhere in the Roadstone Anyway, members gala, twenty fourth of October. Special guests Gary Twig and John Giles, Prof. Great music and it'll rains. It'll raise funds for Jack O'Connor. Done it. So you can get your tickets online. Go on to shamrockrovers.ie. Check it out. Um, it is 50 quid for a member, 85 for a non-member. So make sure you check it out. Get your ticket. The biggest social... Well, I could say second biggest. But the biggest social event for, for Shamrock Rovers in a long, long time. Um... Yeah, it's you, don't, be you, don't, you don't want to miss this one. This is this is this is a big deal. Yeah. So uh yeah, definitely people. Uh buy your tickets if you haven't done so. Shamrockrovers.ie. Um yeah, so up next, prof, we have a members corner and it's Giggsy Hand. I'm a member! member. Oh, I'm oh, yeah. oh, member. So it's time now for Members Corner with Andrew Hand, aka Giggsy Hand, as he's known to most people. He's a club member and he's also a good friend of the late Bobby Best. So welcome, Giggsy. Thanks for having us on, Prof. Good to be here. Well, I suppose the usual first question, uh, how did you first get into Fallen Robbers? Um, it was about 90, it was 1998 was my first game and it was actually uh, Mark Turner's uncle, Kieran, um, who brought us to my first game. So basically, there was about four or five of us that used to go with Kieran the odd time. Um because we were kind of buddies of Mark, Mark would be going to the game. Kieran said, oh, look, how about bringing along a couple of your friends? So naturally, like you did back then, a few of us jumped in the car, as it was Friday evening. And yeah, look, just uh, a few kind of fell away, naturally, as they did. But I kept going and I was going with Kieran for a good while. Um, and then uh, started going with Bob then, then, Bobby Best then after that, you know, and then... Obviously, when I was old enough, then start going on my own with the lads. So, yeah, I've actually a few interviews set up today, and I have a document uh, with all my prep and times. And one said Giggsy Eleven, which wasn't even intentional. That's just eleven a.m. But where did the <laughs> nickname come from? 
Uh, basically, uh, I started playing football with Stella Maras when I was five. Um, and what we did back then was we were used to have little games like in training, and it was kind of an academy setup. And um, we all just had our favorite, uh, our favorite player, I suppose. Like that was our nicknames. Like so, there would have been like a Kanchelskis, a Janola. Mine was Giggs. I used to wear want to wear Reebok boots because that's what Giggs you are. Um, the little Man United kit would have been with eleven on the back, and yeah, it just kind of stuck from then. And I, I brought, I got brought through like to, obviously today, but like even in school, uh, school principals, teachers in school, my mum and dad uh, would call me Giggsy. Like I'd only get the Andrew show when I was Um, now my wife now calls me Andrew, but she just that's she's allowed. She's the only one allowed. Even lads in work now call me Giggsy, you know. So. Do you have a favourite ever Rovers player pre and post Tala? Um, well, my favourite Rovers player uh, pre Tala was Stephen Grant. I just loved watching him play. He was a flash kind of winger. He always wore like you know real bright foot, bright bright boots and stuff like that. And just look supporting Rovers back then, I suppose like you didn't do it for glory because we weren't winning things. You know that wasn't you. You done it just because you loved them. And like I said, when Kieran brought us to our first game. You just you got the bug. You hear Rovers fans talking about it all the time. You get the bug. You just want to go back. Um and yeah, that's the, I just loved watching Stephen Grant play. And then I suppose the Tala era. Um, I would like an honourable mention to Gary Twig just because of the impact that he had in Tala at the start. Um, but footballing wise, I don't think there's anybody that'll come close to Jack. Ability wise, like you know how good Jack is and. When he's on form, we play well. I haven't actually been able to guess Stephen Grant on the the podcast. He says he doesn't do interviews, so there you go. No, I actually, I I've private messaged him on on uh, Twitter because he does chat back and forth at the odd time, like you know, over the years about Rovers and football and stuff like that. And um, I even said to him, "Would you do it?" And he just basically said, "No, that he doesn't. He doesn't do podcasts or anything like that." So, but maybe one day, you never know. Him and Twig together. <laughs> You're in the, the main stand in Tata, not too far from me, beside the sweet entrance. Uh, you never let me walk past you at half time without chatting to me, which yeah. I'm not complaining about. But uh, have you always been there or are you ever tempted to move to another stand? Or? Um, so I, we started off um, in the East Stand when obviously like the East Stand was right at the start. So I think obviously everybody was main stand at the start. But when the East Stand was built, we used to stand over kind of in line with the 18-yard box, in a position now where the away fans are now. Um, and then when the South stand came along, um, a lot of the fans obviously moved into the South. Um, we used to go to the South stand then um, quite regularly. Um, and then I suppose it kind of coincided with Bob kind of retiring um, from doing his photography. Um, he obviously wanted to, he was sitting in the stands or whatever, so... Brian had said to me, look, going to go and sit in the main stand with Bob. And um, Mark Butler sat with us as well. Brian was starting to bring fate to the games. She was starting to do uh, ball girl. Um, and then as of last year, I bring Brooklyn now, who was nearly six. So it's easier to have him in the main stand now as well. But now, look, we have our little group of seats there, right at the right when you come out of Glenmalore Suite, right to the right hand side there. So that's where we've been the last three years probably like you know so yeah that's kind of I can't see myself moving now from that like you know that, that's our kind of little spot now so 
it's not even a North Stand or anything. But uh, what about a favourite away day? Um, favorite away day. I do like going to going to Waterford. I just like to trip to the RSE. Not it wouldn't be the ground. It wouldn't even be the atmosphere. I just I always like going down there. Um, <laughs> I like going to again the the trip to Cork. Like see a lot of the games that we'd go to. I wouldn't really go on too many supporters buses. We'd always commute in the car. Brandon usually drive. And we'd be in the car, so we'd we'd set sail on a Friday. It could be straight from work sometimes if it's a longer trip, whether it be Bally Buffet. Um and yeah, we just like that, I just sit for a couple of hours driving, singing songs, rovers chat. And then the game itself would dictate how your weekend is gonna be because it could be a great weekend. It could be a brutal weekend, you know. But look, even the show in a way, day. But if you go to Daily Mount on a Friday night and you win, like it just becomes like the two 0 there earlier on the season on Good Friday, like was brilliant. Do you know what I mean? Just a whole kind of we hadn't had a great start to the season, and it, it, for me, the away day doesn't really. It, it's not about how far away it is. It's just about like the build up to the game, where you are, and I suppose the the game itself has a big impact on that. When you mentioned Waterford, I was going to say my first introduction to you was Waterford away. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not the infamous night of the fireworks now. I think this was either 2019 or 2020. But you kept impersonating the, the PA fella. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll step away from the microphone for this. But basically it was like, number 10, Graham Burke is being replaced. And you, you just kept saying that throughout yeah, the match. Yeah. And I, I was actually in stitches. Yeah. Yeah, no, that'd be one of the things like that. Like I've always done stupid kind of impersonations and stuff like that. So when you hear somebody with a kind of, I suppose, a very kind of dreary voice like that or something like you know something that sticks out like or whatever. But yeah, I actually do remember that. Yeah, that was a that was a midweek game actually. It was, uh, it was it was shortly before COVID. I think it was. I think it was shortly before COVID. It would have been the start of the season in twenty twenty. Oh, it might have been the Reese Marshall goals. Yeah, it was Reese Marshall goal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I remember I was in work <laughs> and I actually remember the day because we used to get have to get a bus from the car park and work. And obviously, after COVID, that that bus was gone because of COVID. So, I do remember getting the bus back to the car park, going like, Oh, I need to get home, get changed really quick because we need to get on the road. So, yeah, so this is actually our, our first members' corner in quite a while. Uh, first this season since Winston meets the Gaffneys. Uh, that was the, the members only corner as he called it when yeah. did you become a member and why being this is my fourth year as a member so from i, I started in 2020 uh, again it was it was in around the time of covid look um i'm in a position now like uh, i bought a house six years ago i'm in a position now that i'm able to afford it luckily um and yeah, I just had something that I've, I've I wanted to do probably a little bit previous to, but when I was saving for a house, I suppose like you know certain things, I, like I still had my season ticket, but certain things kind of you would have had to kind of on the back burner for a bit. So now look, I'm 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 delighted to be able to be in a position to, I suppose, be a little small cog in the wheel that is the club, you know. We've had the the membership has grown so much since you joined. Um, like it had it had dropped below four hundred, and now it's. It's bloated beyond six hundred. It's it's been brilliant to see. But having said that, is there anything you think could improve membership numbers, whether it be reducing cost or adding perks or schemes as a way for it to entice more people to join? Yeah, look, I mean, 
there's always no matter what what you do in a in a membership i suppose or in anything there's always going to be room for improvement um i know one of the big things that i've talked about with brian um recently especially since i know that he's gone for uh the board and i've talked to this with gary uh, is the the family membership you know like i can't obviously say my young my young lad is six nearly six now and you know certain away games that might have limited availability like I couldn't you it's impossible to get a ticket for him because obviously he's not a member um yeah things like that look uh, you know match day experience I suppose it's been a bit hard obviously this year we're not having the the suite there um but that's obviously a reason for that look I mean we're making improvements to the ground um I've talked a little in, in short context with Gary about this before I think one of the nights that I won the golden goal I think I won 200 euro or something like that. I'd gone into the club shop and within two minutes, three minutes, the 200 euro was spent. Like, I do understand, obviously, that the Umbro gear and all, like, you know, all the the proper kind of the official merchandise is obviously going to be costly. That's just the way of life. But I do think that there is a market there for a kind of a more fan-friendly kind of T-shirts. Like, I know the club brought out the Rovers in Europe T-shirts there, which would be a bit more cost-effective. But I do think there should be a little bit more of a casual kind of range, I suppose, like that affordable, especially if you've got two or three kids going to games, you know, like it's costly, like it's very, very costly to go to games these days and people don't probably don't realise how expensive it can be if you're bringing a family, you know. Yeah, and for anybody on the fence about becoming a member, what would you say to convince them to become a part owner of their club? Yeah, for me, it's more just, it. it's, it's having a little bit of pride, like, you know, like just knowing that, you know, I'm part of kind of, I suppose, a group of nearly 700 people now that contribute to the, the club, like the way we do, I suppose, we, we pay our membership and stuff like that. Um, uh, I've been a silent member, I suppose, if, we, if I want to call it over since I became a member, haven't really got involved too much in AGMs and meetings and stuff like that. I did, tr- like, I do trust that when I pay my membership, that the money does get put to good use. Like, and, you know, over the last couple of years, like we're winning things and things have been good and successful. Um, And then obviously now you see with the elections coming up with the AGM, um, there seems to be a lot of new blood, like a lot of kind of people of nation seem to be going like with Dan, Emma, Bran and Gary, you know, kind of people that would be of kind of, like I said, air generation. And I, I, it is something that maybe... I will. I am. I am going to the AGM this year. It's something that I haven't done. I know COVID. They were even online on Zoom, but I always kind of just stayed away and let let the people that were in charge kind of do the things and trust that my money was being put to good use. But it's something that I will get involved in this year, you know, and maybe might be a start of something going forward. But anyone, yeah, I would say, yeah, a hundred percent, it's worth it. I won't ask you who you're voting for, so on uh, September 2nd. <laughs> Listen, um, you can vote for more than one person. <laughs> <laughs> the 20-year celebration, the members event in October. Are you going to head along to that? I'm I'm in, uh, I'm on holidays. I'm in Maldives with the family. So That's all we have time for, Giggsy. I'm sorry. Uh, cut this interview short now. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I'm having. It's one thing that as soon as I've seen the date, oh, and i seen, obviously, in the Aviva, and then I've seen a couple of the the guests being mentioned and I'm just it's one of them like that yeah that that is again it's something that I definitely would have went to um a hundred percent but um look it is what it is there's nothing I can do the fact the holiday was booked kind of uh 
a couple of months ago now anyway so and I will I think I'm going to miss I'll miss a game I think it's drawn at home that I miss as well like so but it's not uh, I won't miss the end of the season which hopefully will be a big celebration at the end of the season with another trophy and just just finally on the AGM um, obviously we have these new candidates running but is there what what is an important issue in your mind going into September 2nd as a member um, I think for me, um, obviously I can only speak from my own situation. Like I've said, <laughs> um, everything runs in cycles. Life, football teams, jobs, everything. And I'm not saying that this is like the cycle of the, 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 the board at the moment is over, but I do think that, you know, we probably do need somebody like a, a bit more, a bit newer, fresher kind of people going in that maybe represent like the younger generation a little bit more i'm not saying the lads there are old school like look there's, there's people on that board who work like you know what i mean and that's the reason why they're in that job and the reason why like they've been lifelong members and lifelong kind of supporters of shamrock rovers and it's not this is not like for me it's not about they're not doing a good job i just think that the whole thing probably needs a little bit of a kind of freshen up so we'll talk about Bobby Best now. Um, of course, he had sadly passed away Saturday morning. Then followed the the outpour of grief and people uh, sharing their stories. Um, you put a picture up there on Thursday. You had a documentary on a loop of uh, Bobby speaking Friday the funeral. Spell, just give us your emotions you went through from the week that you found out up to laying the, the great man to rest. Yeah, look, the whole kind of week has been a bit of a kind of a whirlwind. It's a bit surreal. I still don't think it's properly sunk in. It probably won't. I think next Friday at the dock is going to be tough. Um, just knowing that he's not going to be there, he won't even be at the end of the phone. Um, but yeah, we got the news. I suppose the first thing I did was try to. I heard at seven o'clock that morning, my kids are awake, and uh, a mate of mine had texted me to say that one of Bobby's relatives had had it up on Facebook. Um. I know Brennan Butler were up with Bobby a week before, or a couple of days before he had passed away, and myself and Torna were up with him on the on the Wednesday in the hospital. Um, and look, he, he was still there, like his his mind and his brain was still there. Yeah, look, you could tell that he wasn't, like we knew that he wasn't well, but I mean, he was still that all the talk was still Rovers. The talk was kind of you know getting to twenty to sorry the four in a row, you know. Um, and then I suppose there was a, there was talk of him possibly like maybe. Going into uh, you know like getting home, having a, a bit of a kind of a bit more of a kind of a, a bit more quality of life for however long it could be. We, I mean, we didn't expect like a couple of days after being up with him that you know he would pass away. But um, yeah. So like just the whole thing, like you know, from when we heard it on Saturday, just uh, first thing I did was try to ring Brian, try to ring Butler, got onto Turner, like kind of just made like seeing if. I'd heard that, and you know, like because before I wanted to kind of confirm it, like I needed to talk to the lads, like who are as close to them as I'd be. Um, and then I think Brian got back to me then after a, a few a short while. He was asleep. He he woke up and just he said, yeah, he had a message on, on his phone. Um, basically from I think it was his mom and dad, like because they had been talking to Johan, Bobby's son, like he was up with him at the time. Brian's mom and dad live next door to Bobby. And um, yeah, it's just like I said, very surreal the whole week. Then I mean, Sunday, Sunday we were it was straight away. It was you know we need to kind of 
Brown, Brown said to me, look, come down, meet Johan. We went, we were looking at a few bits and pieces um, just starting to get things ready from there on in. And then between Monday, Monday and Thursday, I suppose, I went, hands have kind of donated the flags and stuff like for the hall. So kind of going around collecting them, getting stuff like that sorted, you know, picking music, uh, Obviously, Brian said a few love, like said lovely words in the church on Friday. Um, great turnout. Um, plenty of old school hoops there that would have been around in the days that Bobby was there. Like before, a lot of us even knew. I said it to Gary the other day. There's probably a generation of fans, newer fans now, especially the younger crowd who probably don't really know the impact that Bobby had on the club. But, um, I'm sure when they're looking at all this, all the and then they're kind of getting a grasp of how great he was. Like, um, the squad, Stephen and the squad turned up to the old guard of honor from which is brilliant. But um, yeah, look, the the funeral itself went very very well, and it's one of them things. Like I said, I don't think it'll really really kind of like it won't settle in. Like it won't really feel real, I suppose, until. I think Friday is the next big one now, like where, you know, even when he was in hospital, he'd text into the group after the games if he wasn't there. Lads, that was sure you are. You know, like this needs, like, you know, we need to change this or we need to do this or we're doing brilliant here. And it'd be weird not having him on the other end. You know, or weird, be weird not going going up to Derry, going to Sligo and Bob not being in the car. So, because as long as I can remember, he's been dragging us around the games, like, you know. Oh, you guys did him proud for sure. Yeah. Um, Build me up, Buttercup played the funeral. There was a few laughs and a few tears to that one. Uh, for for those not there, could you tell us Brent's story about the ball going into Bobby's garden and the and the rosebush? Yeah, so basically, Brent had four <laughs> brothers and then Butler lived across the road. Like so, Bob if Bob was mad. Like so, Brent's story is basically like you know Bob loved his garden. He was mad for his garden. Like always had his grass cut, always had his flowers, and he had these rose thorn bushes there. Like and like that, if anybody. As you were your kids, you'd play football out on the road and you the gates would be closed and they'd be the they'd be the goalposts or whatever. And like that, naturally Bob went into the garden and even though Bob and Bob was bringing the lads to the games at the time, like so if he wouldn't a case of him, this would have happened plenty of times. Ball goes into the garden and they'd see the hall door opening and the lads would be gone on their toes. <laughs> and if if they weren't quick enough and didn't get the ball, Bobby would literally pick the ball up and put a knife in the ball and burst it. <laughs> And, and but the funny thing is that could have been on a Friday, all right, at like two o'clock. Like two hours later, he'd been the brand's gone, right? I'll get all the kids, like that be it, like, but he just hated anybody going near his garden, near his thorn bushes. <laughs> and I always remember uh Brand's mom and dad, uh, Brand Senior and Dolores were telling a story. Um when Bob bought the house, it was uh the kids weren't out to play or anything like that. They were in or something, you know. And Bob thought, oh, I was loved him. I had buying a nice little kind of maybe in it because it's in a cul-de-sac, nice and quiet. He said he was after seeing the four the four brothers out playing the next day, and he goes, buying a house animals because they were all in and around the same age, like just four hectic boys, you know, like so. But now, like a special mention to Brent Dolores, Brent Senior. Um, even to this day, I was talking to. Brand's mom yesterday she was in Bob's house opening up the opening up the, the windows, opening up the blinds. You know, they've done that for Bobby over years. And yeah, it, it hit them very, very hard as well, you know. 
but um, they've been very, very close neighbours. And I know his dad, Bren's dad, had only said, like, <laughs> if you believe that Bobby's not going to be living next door to me, you know, whether it be over the back wall, handing each other beers or whatever it'll be. But look, there's a there's hundred million stories you could tell about Bobby and you still wouldn't have enough time. And most of them are classic stories, like, well, give us one more or so, uh, preferably involving Mark Turner, who I'm a big fan <laughs> of. But uh, you can pick your own one. Oh, just, just uh, like Bob loved, Bob loved Turner, right? And he, he'd always say to me and Brian, you are going to have that man in a mental asylum because every time Turner would put stuff up in the group or he'd miss a game, Bobby would just slate him, slate him. Go, it's all right, the crew are here. And like, remember, like, like myself and I had uh, new kids and stuff like that. Mark had a new baby, obviously, there last year. And naturally, look, you're going to have to miss some games. And Bobby, I swear to God, he used to just uh, slay him. Tony, you're a bleeding plonker. Missing games. What are you missing games for? Rovers is number one. Nothing else matters. <laughs> but just like I said, look, it's, uh, it's, I said it the other day and Brian said it as well. And so the lads, like, we've lost a good one, Prof. We really, really have. Like, you know, it's, 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 uh, the club has changed for me now and a, a big part of it is gone, you know. 100%. Um, what part of the interview made you smile the most, aside from uh, him name-dropping you? Yeah, look, I mean, that's... Uh, listening to Bob's kind of stories on how he got into how he got into Rovers, you know, and, like, I think he said in that interview, like, that everything had a timestamp to how old you were. If you were seven, you could go to bed at an hour, half an hour later and blah, blah. And just like, you know, it, it was rubber stamped. He wasn't allowed to go until he was 10 and it was regimental. And then talking about sitting in the cinema back then and the scars being put up on the screen. It's something that wouldn't happen nowadays. Like, you know, it, that they're things that wouldn't happen nowadays, you know. And um, I suppose looking at... I didn't actually know that story, um, that that was a one-off jersey until I actually seen that. Um, like, Bobby's, Bobby has some amount of memorabilia in his house. But that story, like about that yellow jersey, is it's brilliant. And you can like when you re listen to it on the on the if you listen to it on the podcast, you get much you get a much better kind of sense of it when you see him on the video sitting there and the delight mm. in his face. There's like mm. a bit through the interview when he talks about it and he just stops and he smiles. I love that part. Yeah, I was gonna you say know, that. And you can just see him, he stops and smiles. Like he's so proud, like he's like he 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 has that jersey and the was no other, there was no extra spares on it and like he got to keep the extra spare you know and like I say he sat there with the old school jacket and all on and he was waiting you could tell the whole meeting he was waiting to take it off to show it off like <laughs> just there the little stories look the good thing about it is Bobby was that more, that well known and there'll always be videos around there'll always be his voice will always be heard even going forward like you know like we'll always we'll always remember him and we'll always kind of we'll always have him with us no matter what we're going to stay in them same seats and we, we made a conscious the other day and we were kind of like, look, it's up to us now. Bob Bob lit the fire in us for Shamrock Rovers, like what Brian said in, in, in the speech in the church. It's up to us now to continue that on. That's very well put, Kigsy. Um I suppose Dundalk on Friday uh, gives your thoughts going into the into that game. It's absolutely a huge one. Yeah, look, um, it's, it, it, it's one of these because... I thought that we played, I know it's, it seems like a lifetime ago now with the, the whole kind of the week that's been, but we weren't too bad against Shelbourne. I think that we could have, uh, we, we we probably could have been two up before 
you know, the late goal or whatever. I think Alan will be disappointed he didn't come out for the corner. But I mean, look, it was a great delivery and all that. I mean, you can criticise people all day long. I mean, Alan's never come out for corners or anything like that, so we can't just blame it solely on that. But anyway, I think the Dock are kind of in a position now where after beating us a couple of weeks ago in the Cup, they'll probably feel like they have us a little bit, like, and they'll probably feel like this is a great time to go and play them. Um, But I think it's up to us to come out and we, we, if we start very well and start strong and start fast, there seems to be a thing with Rovers, especially at home. I don't know whether it's expectation, but if we, it seems if we don't score in the first 20 minutes, 24, that does seem to be this kind of little sense of panic that might set in, like, you know. And I'm sure the players can feel that because you can hear it in the stands, you know. But look, we, uh, you have to put your faith in the squad. The squad have given us so many kind of good days. And I just think that if we, if we start the game right, I think we should be all right. I'll put it out here. I'm going to say 2-0 to Rovers now. <laughs> and last question. Balls, the following week, uh, which jersey will you be wearing that day? <laughs> look I don't mind I always get I'll always get stick over that till the day I die but I literally don't care I don't care and I know that the people who know they don't like they I was playing Bren and I'll always blame Bren on that but um, <laughs> no look for it it'll always be Rovers it always will be Rovers and it's just one of them things I, I, I sit back and I should I even the one that sent the picture to Gary do you know what I mean I knew I was going to get laced yeah. over it like do you know what I mean? So look, it's it's just one of them things. I like it's water off a duck's back. People slag me all the time about it, and it's just like, look, it is what it is. And even though Bobby played and slated me over it as well, but he was laughing as well at the same time, <laughs> you know. But now look, uh, again, going to uh, we we play balls then again. Yeah, like I say, that Friday. Um, you don't want to look past the Dundalk game, but a couple of huge weeks, I think. Um. And I was talking to Jim Conroy as well at the funeral the other night. And I think the next two games could quite possibly shape it for us, like, you know. And it's gonna be a it's gonna be a massive couple of weeks, all right. Well that's it, Gigsy. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, no, well, really well, thanks. Really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, so an emotional one with Gigsy. Um I don't I don't get how they could like he he knifed the ball. Hey, they were still friends after that. We had one down. We had two doors down here. That's what I was thinking of. Mrs. Yeah. Oh my God, Mooney. Mooney, yeah. Mrs. Mooney I used to always go into. Oh, she actually had rose bushes, rose bushes as well. So I, um, I still feel the hatred I, of when the ball would go the in the garden. Oh yeah, the fear and they they hated us. In fairness, they never knifed the ball now. No. No, but you knew very well when it went in there, you were terrified. And if it hit the window, like if it went in the garden, you'd be all right. Yeah. But if it hit the window, God. Oh, yeah. Scattered. You'd run to a different postcode. You'd lift, you'd lift, literally <laughs> run 100 metres, like you'd be gone. But great stuff for Giggsy and just a really cool insight into the inner workings of a newer member and how he feels about how the club is going, how it should go, and ultimately. A, a great chat about Bobby Best. Actually, when I asked him on, I I didn't know how long he'd been a member, but um, yeah, since was it twenty twenty? He said similar to myself. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of interested in those members who are are relatively recent, but passionate hoops and are interested in upcoming AGM and making a difference. Mm. And it's interesting to know what they want 
or not expect expect is the wrong word what they want out of the club what they want out of their membership why they joined it's interesting to get the newer perspective the likes of the, the younger guys so yeah, that's what I want to do did it on, on the zooms there and you can see gigs are getting emotional as you as he was talking about mm. Bobby Boy he uh, spoke really well and like I said him and Bren and and Turner and all did did Bobby proud um, in in research for this um, I was saying to you we hadn't done this in so long there was a members corner with Winston Mr Gaffney's but that was kind of a a funny one off thing the last when was the last time we did just a traditional members corner one on one I know I I and I was like, I don't even remember what the questions were. What did we used to ask people? We noticed that it hit like 650 and we were like, oh, Grant. <laughs> yeah, that must have been there. I think we've enough. But what I did was I found an old clip from John Connolly uh, speaking to Oriel Park. And he's talking about us being fourth. So it's, it's probably 2017 or 2018. Because we were up, we were up to second by 2019. Mm. And, but you did this entire interview, Gar, at halftime at Oriel Park. Over that goddamn PA. <laughs> I think that's what probably started your hatred for it. <laughs> the, it was eight minutes. The first four minutes, your man is talking, plugging all the local businesses and all that shite. And then the second half is just over music. And I was just, ra- even though it was like a years old interview, I was I was like, how did this air? <laughs> and then your phone buzzed. And then, oh, then I really got pissed off. Just like, right, I'm ne- this never happened. The, the um, phone buzzed different altogether. But actually, John, in that interview, he mentioned family memberships, which Giggsy also mentioned. Yeah. So that's two people now. Um, do you think it's a good idea? I, I think it is something that we have to look at because there's loads of families out there that are hoops. Like my whole gang, we're all season callers. Um, the Connollys are a great example. I mean, they could... Like, I mean, a family membership probably does make sense. Um, you'd have to keep it to a media family, I'd imagine. And there'd have to be a minimum amount, maybe, of maybe three getting, and then you'd have a reduced rate. But I do think that if you're getting three members out of one family, a reduced rate probably could could work. It could work, but then again, I don't know which way it works. There's mm. legal terms about it, but it's something that could be looked into. Yeah, I think definitely a mem, not a restructure, but you know, a little nip and a tuck maybe. But it has been asked for a while. And now the classified check of the FAI Cup second round. With Jay Mangan. So the second round of the FAI Cup concluded this weekend. We're going to start off in Pigsborough. Where that team who plays up there won 6-0 against Rockmount. It wasn't gold for Kerry. And Turles. As it was Kerry nil, Drada won. And we're going to go to the seaside. The Bray, County Wicklow, where the Sea Golds lost against the Lily Shites, as it was Bray Nil, Dunzark won. Up the Bolly Buffet, where Finn Harps bash Skerries. It was Finn Harps 5, Skerries Town Nil. Now down to Rings End Park, where there was St. Patsy Y Nil, Wexford. One, and now we're gonna go to the Brandywell, Derry City nil, St Patrick's Athletic nil, St Patrick's Athletic winning four three on penalties, Derry losing more penalty shootouts than England have in the last couple of years in the space of three days. Now 
I thought the poster for this game was very, um, very, very, very catchy. It was UCD 1, Galway 5, a fantastic 5 for Galway United. And now we're going to go to the Munster Derby. The Munster Derby. A couple of miles away from each other, I think. A bit of a way from each other. It was Cork City 3, Waterford United 0. Well, well, well. Who will go to the famous Lansdowne Roads as the draw for the quarterfinals is live tomorrow on YouTube? So that was Jay. Very entertaining stuff. Giving us a rundown of the Gap Week of Failure. The Gap Week of Failure, yeah. That was uh, Jay Lamborn putting on his posh radio voice there. Jay Lamborn. No need for Jay. But yeah, a couple of uh, postponements because of the weather in the cup. Um, so that's why the two games were on Monday. Uh, Galway were 2 0 up at half time in the first game. It was abandoned and they won 5 1 in the in the in the rearranged fixture. And then that, that match policy that Jay mentioned, that was a belter. Class. Uh, Absolutely brilliant. Ollie Horgan is Doc Brown. Ollie Horgan, by the way, getting sent off by Rob Harvey. Was 4 0 up. Yep. He sticks to his principles, that's what I like about him. <laughs> you gotta love him. Oh my god. Um, what else we got? So we have the fun- the quarterfinal draw was made this afternoon just before we started recording. I didn't see this, prof. News to me. Draw had it versus Bowes. That's a tough one. Away. Away no, the draw. Draw just rolled over. Yeah. Pats are going travelling again. It's Finn Harps versus Pats. We have Galway versus Dundalk and Cork versus Wexford. This is totally up in the air. Yeah, because the three underdogs there, uh, the first three are at home, so it makes it a bit interesting. Absolutely, yeah. This is this is crazy, yeah. We look at all the the contenders there. You've got Bowes, Pats, and Dundalk all getting away draws. So Drada versus Bowes, Finn Harps versus Pats, Galway versus Dundalk and Cork versus Wexford. So there you went out of Europe and out of the cup, both on penalties in the space of four days. So. Yep. I was talking to Lara about this and she reckons it's a good thing for them because she's thinking they're going to be all, all out gunning for the league now. So she has a point. She doesn't think that they'll take they'll be hitting confidence from this. Do you know what I mean? She'd be like, mm-hmm. well, that's their main priority now is the league. Yeah, but Carol, they're out of Europe and the cup. Is Derry's season a failure now? <laughs> That's a good talking point, isn't it, Johnny? <laughs> Have we got the audio? We've got to play the audio. Um, they won't make a big deal about it. They won't. They won't make a song and dance about it. It's just the way it is. Is our season a failure now? Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine saying that, let's say we do win the league because you got knocked out of the cup in Europe at a certain stage. They, they think that you're a failure. Your season's a failure even though you're league winners. You know what I mean? So if we win four in a row, Following the second time ever in 100 plus years of League of Ireland football. And Stephen Bradley becomes the first manager ever to win four titles in a row. Is our season a failure? Yeah. Someone genuinely asked that question. I know, yeah. Um, Brian Maher missed a penalty in the European match. There were still four outfield players left to take him. Yeah. I found that very strange as well. And when he was taking it, he positioned it and he stepped back and he went forward, he picked it up. And he repositioned it. The second 
he moved forward to pick that ball up. Jaden was with me. I said, Jaden, he's not going to score this. <laughs> his mind is gone now. Yeah. The fact that he had to reposition the ball means that he changed his mind as well where he was going to hit it. Psychology. Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. Second he picked that ball up and repositioned that, I said to Jaden, I said, he's not, missing. he's not scoring this. Decent save as well. I thought he got down well to it. And just on the, the keeper taking the penalty rather than the outfield players, Aussie Nate was just was having a having a peek on the was it on TV, was it? Uh yeah, RT Yeah, yeah. And he goes, Yeah, I don't understand it either. Given the job of the goalie is to keep the ball out of the net, he did exactly what he's employed to do. <laughs> um, That's some Aussie logic for you. So I think that was the forty fifth European game at Tata Stadium. Uh, 31 involving Rovers so we've had Pats Derry Drogheda Dundalk all using Tata for as a home venue in Europe uh, and we had Konchelskis remember I mentioned him last week he's their general manager he mm. thanks the British people for being so welcoming yeah <laughs> the second I, I, I heard that I was just laughing I was like <laughs> Twitter is going to be on fire <laughs> yeah. um, yes and then the big one Prof it's the big one it's the Leinster Senior Cup final between Bowes and Usher Celtic. Takes place at Daly Mount Park on Monday, September 18th. That's just random, isn't it? Will this be the start of their dominant scare? Because Will so this I, springboard, Prof? Because I actually saw someone mention a treble on Twitter. The treble. Now, I love the Leinster Senior Cup on all, but it's, it's calmed down here. Yeah, it's. I don't think you can include it as a major honour. To be honest, now, um, Spain. Spain beat England the Women's World Cup final and the Rovers women are back. So, um, yeah, entertaining game in the final. Um, Spain missing a penalty as well. But, uh, yeah, so that was it. it kind of, I thought it flew under the radar, this World Cup. I thought the coverage was quite poor. Could have been a lot better. Do you mean the Irish coverage? In general. In general, like some some days to be a semi final on, you just wouldn't know. There's no mm. really talking about. It. It's kind of sad, really. I don't know. A lot of the games were on when I was in work, yeah. and I just forget they were on. But um, obviously, that was on the the Sunday morning, uh, eleven o'clock kickoff, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but um, Spain are World Cup champions. Yeah. Um, as for the Rovers ladies team, um, they returned after the summer break. They got one friendly aim with DLR Waves at Rollstone. It was about ten days ago. As we record here, four uh, 0 win with their summer signing Joy Ralph getting on the score sheet. Good stuff. So obviously the 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 girls are back in training. So the putting up lots of photos on Twitter, and uh, the most uh, encouraging photo is obviously Maria Reynolds training, getting back to fitness because she's been injured for the entire year. So it'd be good to see her curve finally get back in the pitch. Absolutely. Um, yeah. We'll see if she's if she's ready to go um, Saturday. Because it's a cup game at home to Colester at Donny Kearney. So Saturday 5.30. Uh, wear your Rovers, Ireland or Colester jersey and you get free admission. <laughs> All you have to do is wear one of those three jerseys and you can go in, watch the women play for free and you can welcome home Anya and Abby from the World Cup. Excellent. And you can see some good football and Sean's had as usual. Um, TG4 finally announced a few more games for coverage. One of those was Rovers. So that'll be Wexford away on September 30th. Yeah, good stuff. Um, yes, so Oidemo Prof, in other news, Oidemo scored a great goal for Millwall at the weekend and he had a great assist the week before that. And you've got mm-hmm. Sinclair Armstrong scoring as well and running a muck. They love him. They love him. 
at QPR. Like, honestly, if you look at... I know we've, we scout some people who extensively watch British football to scour the, the earth for, for good Irish players. Surely a 20-year-old who's scoring with the attributes that Sinclair Armstrong has should be in the squad. We, we don't have strikers like that. Like, Armstrong and Kane, or Armstrong and uh, Ferguson up front, sounds very promising in the mm. next few years. So, I think get him up and just stick him in a squad. Like um, Stephen Jones, a QPR fan for his sins, Gar. Yeah, the R's like Ray Whelan. Ray Whelan's a QPR fan as well. R. Ray. Chef Ray likes a bit of QPR. Does he? Yeah, nearly sure. Go. I'm nearly sure he goes over every so often. Or it's an affiliate anyway, but definitely, definitely likes them. I like these peculiar clubs from Robbers fans. If they don't follow the usual Man United, City, Chelsea, Liverpool. Uh, like, I know two West Brom fans. How is that possible? I know, yeah. Woody is a Villa fan. That's been passed down, isn't it? Jim Conroy has a bit of affiliation for a Villa. There's all. There's always reasons, though, isn't there? I mean, you could say maybe Villa's... European success and their father was a fan and they passed it down you know it's always yeah. it's always something like that potentially some add-ons and clauses as well for Sinclair Armstrong so if he does goals at the Premier League uh, or plays for Ireland etc etc uh, could be something our way yeah as Gaffer certainly seems to think so um, yes £115 million sterling for a Brighton player Moises Cass. Casido, Casido, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Um, well, you know why I put this in there. I just <laughs> can you relate to this anymore? Yeah, I just think it's that the Chelsea owners nuts. No, but in general though, the the transfer fees and the wages, it's just and like I, like I love transfers. Transfers are like, it's just so far removed from what we know as football. It's just a circus. Um, even that, like the Saudi league is. Like some of the figures coming out of that, like they gave Neymar people as part of his, I saw that. his contract. Five, uh, five, five housekeepers. Half a million for every promotional tweet for uh, Saudi Arabia. It's obscene. It's absurd, obscene. And there's actually some really good players playing in Saudi Arabia now. <laughs> some really good players being tempted over there. Um, like I. Like I said, I can't relate to it. I started becoming a bit disillusioned to the Premier League about 20 years ago. And back then, I think Rio Ferdinand signed for Man United for 30 million. Do you remember that? And that was a lot of money then. That was monstrous. Do you remember yeah. we were just like, no way, a defender. <laughs> and it was a huge fee, like a massive, massive fee. Uh, just a little debate broke out in the group and uh, Carl Curran says he was only talking about this and he said the last few years has turned me off watching top level football together Champions League last year was the first Champions League game I watched all the way through in years couldn't tell you half the players in the Premier League yeah I'd be no well I, I'm not similar I'd, I love European League so I'd be watching anything that comes on that's being honest but I wouldn't I wouldn't watch many Premier League games now I'd pick and choose if I like Particularly, I like Aston Villa. I like the look of them this season. I think they've got some lovely players. I like the look of Newcastle, even though. Well, you're still a football connoisseur. That's not going to change. Yeah, I do. like if it's on, I'm going to look at it. And if there's a particular player or something like that that I like, or I like a manager or a style of play, I'm going to watch it. Um, but I will say there's like I do have an affinity for United, and I watched them against Wolves, and once again I won't get those ninety minutes back. <laughs> it's like a morgue. 
Um, I genuinely couldn't believe it was the first game of the season and it was so, so quiet in the stadium. It was it was embarrassing, really. And you just wonder what is wrong. There's no real ultras. It goes back to the, the discussion we had before. There's no real ultras element in Britain. I watched Palace about 45 minutes of the game the other night and they have, I can't think they're called the Homestead Ultras or something like that. They have an ultras element now. Arsenal are trying something now. Um, I love that whole style. I love the European element creeping into the British game. I don't think it's it's, it's going to take a while for them to accept it because you know the Brits are like. Mm-hmm. But I think overall, European football is definitely where it's at as regards to interest for me. Like the French league, League One, all these great little clubs that have built up their own fan base throughout the years, big stadiums, all independent. Oh, that's what I love. I just love delving into them. Like I was watching RC Lens. And I think it was who was it the other night? RC Lens and Wren. And I was just looking into both of the clubs, and then it just got me interested in the game. So I watched the whole game. Two cool clubs, but anyway, yeah, no, I think you're right. It's sterilised at that level, and um, it's it turns you off, doesn't it? Like 115 million for this guy, who I think United could have bought him for like 15 not too long ago, and it's just obscene amount of money, isn't it? It's just all a joke at this. Stage. There's no way he can live up to that. Is he that good? I don't even know. I can't even tell you if he's good or not. If Evan Ferguson was uh, English, what do you think he'd go for now? Ah, oh, 120. Like, he'd, be, he'd break the record. He'd break oh, the yeah. record, 100%. Yeah. But it is, it's nuts. We had a good debate as well about free kicks, Prof. We'll touch on that briefly about um, the, the free kick taker is nearly a dead thing now. I mean, if you go back to years ago, you'd have like mm. Juninho... You'd have Rui Costa, Kaká, like all these guys who had free kicks in their locker. Even they, Ian Hart, a free kick taken fullback. Dennis Irwin. Yeah. Like all these players. Or the extreme example was uh, Sheila Bear, the goalkeeper. Yeah. But he was obviously one off. Rogerio Senni. Yeah. But these, um, it's like a dying thing now. Like name free kick takers, prolific ones now. Well, at the I, moment. I brought it up purely on League of Ireland because we've spoken about fans about Pat Byrne and remember the phrase free kicks like penals. Yeah. So think about what that means. That means that if Pat Byrne got a free kick 18, 20 areas out from goal, it may as well have been a penal because he can just stick it in the top corner. That's what And the, there's nothing the goalkeeper can do about it. And Mark Kenny was the same, again, a bit before our time, but from what everyone tells us, he was outrageous at free kicks. And he could just put the ball wherever he wants. How come Mark Kenny retired, what, like nearly two decades ago? How come no one has come along who has just been so obsessed with practicing free kicks after training every day and just had the ability to put the ball wherever he wants and then every few games or so, you can you can get a goal yeah, like that. Yeah, who's our, who's our closest comparison to something like that right now? Jack doesn't really score. How many of your free kicks has Jack scored? I think he might have scored one, but I couldn't tell you who was against. Realistically, he should. Technically, he's got it. Mm. Um, Borky. Borky scored a couple. Dylan Watts in the Brandywell. Cabo scored one when he came in. You'd hope, you'd, you'd wish someone would like, it's like penalty takers as well. Like We kind of fluctuate and alter, don't mm. we? Like I'd, I'd love for us mm. to have one person from a free kick who would lethal. Burke, in fairness, is very consistent yeah. with penalties. I think he's had one bad miss and that was it. Yeah, well, so yeah, anyone, uh, if you feel like you can come up with a free kick taker in the last 10, 20 years in the League of Ireland and they, uh, you can remember 
send it into the WhatsApp group or put it online. Well, someone said that the bay had broken out in the in the reserve group recently, and but all the names being mentioned were before ten years ago. Yeah, which kind of backs up what we're saying. Uh, Academy results: We have the SRFC Academy up in the Roadstone. So, <clears throat> as it stands, Prof, there's a three-two loss, unfortunately, for the 19s Daily Mount or wherever it was. I'm not sure where they play at the minute. Um, two nil win against Sligo for the women's under 19s the men's under 17s 4-4 draw versus Dundalk so an absolute slobber knocker in um, Dundalk's ground uh, Rovers 4 for the women's Wexford Utes 4-1 so 4-1 win there and the 15s beat Bowles 3-0 so uh, redeemed themselves there after a loss at 19s level and then the women's and the men's under 14 7-2 win versus Wexford so some big results there um, yeah, and so we've another one as well. 18th to the 20th of August. So Rovers 19s, second loss on the bounce prof. 3-2 at home to Pats. The women's 19s, 3-2 win against Wexford. The men's 17s, a loss versus Shelbourne at home. And the women's uh, 17s, a loss 3-0 at Lowell. Um Men's 15s, a 3-1 win away. And the men's 14s, 3-0 against Bowes, so um, not the greatest of weekends there, Prof. A couple of losses, so... Um, yeah, so that's the Roadstone Project. Prof, you want to introduce Barry on this one? It's a cracker of an interview. I love this type of thing. We spoke about it earlier. Yeah, um, Emerald Exiles, um, you'll hear about in a moment, published a couple of years ago, about Irish footballers going abroad, aside from the usual places, Ireland, um, England, Scotland and all that. Yeah, we did speak about it earlier. So the the more far flung places, the better. I think uh, Australia, US, Eastern Europe. There was one Gibraltar as well. Uh, just something I've always been fascinated by, and you'll hear now the author something he's always been interested in, and he was approached to write a book about it, and he just happens to be a, a loud journalist as well, so he was able to talk about Friday's game. So yeah, here's Barry Landy. Lovely. So we're back with our author series and we're joined by Barry Landy. He's a loud-based journalist, so he can help look ahead to Robert Dundalk on Friday. But more importantly, he wrote a book called Emerald Exiles back in 2021. So welcome, Barry. Hey, Carl. How's it going? So the book is about players who left Ireland and ventured further afield than the English and Scottish leagues where they typically ply their trade. Uh, there was a nice review from Paul Rowan. He says, Landy explores uncharted territory in search of the wild geese of Irish football and has come back with some startling findings. Um, it's actually, honestly, not because you're here, it's actually one of my favourite books. And McDerra Ferris can uh, vouch for that because we were we were sharing a place in Iceland and I had, a, I had it beside me for a bit of research. But um, what, would, what would be the inspiration for the book and how it came about? I know it started as a website and it's always been an interest of yours, but uh, how did the book happen? Yeah, the book wasn't something that I really planned, to be honest, Carl. Um, I'd kind of been tipping away on kind of the website and the Twitter account side of things, you know, just covering Irish players all around the world and just following them on a kind of week-by-week basis and things like that. And I actually just got a, an email out of the blue from a publisher, um, New Island Books, they're based in Dublin. And essentially, um, it was actually the partner of uh, someone who worked at New Island, who's actually a Rovers fan as well. Um, so he basically had, had been following the Twitter account and had suggested to his partner Kiva 
that, you know, this might be a decent idea for a book. And she got in touch with me and said, would you like to write a book? Which was obviously a massive surprise. But um, yeah, look, it's something I've always kind of wanted to do, not necessarily on Exiles, but, you know, writing a, writing a football book has been something that I've, I've always wanted to kind of do, especially since, you know, since a kid, it's been the, the kind of pervasive genre that I read. I read more football books than, than any other type. So once the opportunity came up to do it and I realised there was actual interest from a publisher and I wouldn't have to go shopping it around, trying to get people interested and drum up interest, it was, it was you know, all systems go from there, really. I was delighted to get the chance to do it and and to just kind of focus in on it, really, and, and get back to actually having long-form interviews with people as well was great. And um, speaking to people I'd spoken to before, but then lots I hadn't. Um, yeah, it, w- it was really great, actually, because by the time I started writing the book, like the Exiles thing was mainly just a kind of Twitter account, just saying, you know, this person scored a goal this week or this person's played two games this week or whatever, just keeping people up to date. So to kind of get back to that long form aspect of it was brilliant. What is it about this topic, the Irishman abroad? Why does it intrigue you so much? Well, it kind of comes like, obviously there's the obvious thing of, of so many players, as you alluded to in the intro, go over and play in England and Scotland. And that's, that's great. And we've kind of heard all their stories already. Like, you know, you don't need anyone to write another book about Roy Keane or, you know, to write another article about Robbie Keane or whoever it might be, even even someone like Liam Brady, who has played abroad, but, you know, his time at Arsenal has been profiled extensively and all these kind of things, John Giles at Leeds, um, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, it, it's kind of, it, it is unique in a sense. You know, it doesn't happen that often. We'll probably get onto it. It's happening more often now, especially for younger players. But through the decades, like an Irish player going abroad to Europe has been relatively rare. So there's obviously a kind of uniqueness to their story. There's a reason they've gone there. Um, you know, it, it's it's fish out of water kind of territory as well. But it's also, it, it does feed into that bigger aspect of, of, of Irishness and emigration and stuff like that. You know, people always, it's a cliche, but people talk, you know, you'll, you'll always bump into an Irish person wherever you go in the world. And I suppose this is just a kind of extension of that in a football sense. You know, initially when I started, I kind of had an idea of players in the past who had been abroad, like Brady and people like that, the really famous ones, Robbie Keane, and obviously you had a spell at Inter Milan, etc. But it's actually once you delve into it, you realise that there's actually so many more dotted in, in very posts around the world that you never have heard of and that so many other people have never heard of. Um, but also as well, historically, there have been people who've gone to, to far-flung places. Like a, a great one I know, I actually used to live in, in Stoke um, in, in the UK for a few years and I, I met on several occasions Terry Conroy, the ex-Ireland um, international um, and Terry's a Stoke legend and he still lives there and he um, he actually had uh, an illness a few years ago um, but you know up until relatively recently he had been working as a, as a club ambassador and I met him a lot of times you know he went out and played in, in Hong Kong briefly and had a really interesting story and, and, and that features in the book and, and it features extensively in his own autobiography that he published a few years ago so it's stories like that that even aren't that familiar to, to Irish football fans and people who are really ingrained in the game over here that you discover 
And that actually just leads to kind of an expansion of the interest and it just grows and grows and grows really. Yeah, I'm going to be name dropping as many Roberts players as possible today. Keep our listeners uh, as interested as, as they can be. Uh, one of your 16 first-hand interviews was Stephanie Zambra. Uh, mm. She went to Fiorentina, Sunderland, Houston and France where it actually ended pretty badly for her the way she decided to come home. But do you have a favourite interview you did uh, personally? Um, favorite interview, yeah. Do you know what? It's probably it's good you mentioned Stephanie because it's probably one of the the women players I interviewed. Um, obviously, it's, like it's great now. When I interviewed them, sort of two years ago, um, they hadn't qualified for a World Cup at that stage, obviously, and they've had this big explosion of, of interest and things like that now. But yeah, I, I think that the women are, are super interesting because obviously there there's no professional game here in this country. Um, like a professional league. Um, so, and, and even like, obviously the, the Women's National League has come on leaps and bounds in, in recent years. And even over the water, uh, the Women's Super League has come on leaps and bounds. But if you, if you go back even sort of 10 years or 20 years, all of these um, players had to go abroad looking for opportunities. You know, they wanted to have a professional career. They couldn't do it here. They couldn't do it in the UK. They had to look for the field. So, you know, I really enjoyed interviews with the likes of Stephanie. Um, Diane Caldwell has a really interesting story and our passion for football burns through. Um, you spoke to Clara Reardon as well, another World Cup um, squad member. You know, she she was she was fascinating, actually, and, and she talked about her family and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I probably enjoyed talking to the, to, the, to the female players, maybe more so than any others. Even Clara Scanlon, um, who's from, from Scaries, uh, you know, Claire um, has a very interesting story. She was over in the US for a long time and she actually is back over there coaching now, but she had a spell playing professional football in Japan and um, she came back, she played in, in the UK as well. But, you know, she's one of um, the most capped Irish players of all time uh, for the women's team and uh, one of the most respected and, and yeah, talking to those, um, those women and, and just, getting a sense of their stories that obviously have been kind of lost to time. You know, when Claire was playing back in the 90s, um, there was very little interest in, in, in the women's game, very little coverage. Um, so her story wasn't told in any great length. So having the opportunity to do that um, was really good, yeah. And you've gone all the way back to Jack Kerwin, uh, the Wicklow man who managed Ajax from 1910 to 1915. He managed balls twice and Livorno in Italy as well, guided Ajax to the Dutch top flight, left just after the outbreak of World War One. Was there anything surprising from the book that you researched that you actually didn't know and you found fascinating? Yeah, plenty. Um plenty and and yeah, but more so I think the further you go back, the more you find. So you mentioned Kerwin there, he's the earliest um sort of person featured in the book from kind of the early 20th century. Um. Yeah, Paddy O'Connell is a really interesting one. He's someone who's come to kind of um prominence more recent in more recent years. There was the Paddy O'Connell Fund that was set up um to try and raise money to um memorialize him in some way over in this country and in Spain as well. And um, a couple of the clubs, Barcelona and, and um um Oviedo, I think it was in in Spain, have got um tributes to him now. But um. Yeah, like his story is really interesting. 
kind of a, a controversial character in, in some senses, a, a great football manager of his time, um, you know, obviously winning La Liga and things like that, but um, with Real Betis, I should say, and that, that to this day is still their only La Liga title, but, um, you know, a controversial character, he actually, um, he, he was a bigamist, essentially, he had a wife um, back in, in, in the UK who he left and, and went off to Spain to work and um, become a football manager. Um, he remarried um, without telling his wife back in the UK that he had, he had remarried. So um, he was a controversial figure, but also a prominent figure at the time when he was manager of FC Barcelona in the time of the Spanish Civil War. Um, he's credited in some places, I think perhaps it's oversimplified, I think, in a lot of cases as well, that, that he essentially saved the club. But he certainly played a part in that when he took them on tour to France and, and raised money um, and then kept that money and sort of deposited in, in Paris as opposed to bringing it back to Spain where it would have been taken by the forces. Um, so, so, so yeah, he, he was very, very interesting. Um, he actually died um, sort of uh, destitute and alone then back in London um, in, in later years. So... A very kind of up and down life really and an interesting life and ultimately a tragic one so he wasn't someone i was particularly familiar with at all bar his association with barcelona but when you actually delve deeper into in, into his life um there's there's quite a story there and just some in, um, insight into my own interest in this topic it was kind of especially last year when robbers obviously had that european run and like you said, we were speaking off air. I'll message you and ask you, are there any Irish players? Have they ever played in this league? Uh, Neil O'Riordan is another one. The two of you guys are just encyclopedias when it comes to Irish players abroad. You just you just know the answer. Mm. Um, like For example, we were supposed to play Copenhagen this season. We didn't get through, but I, I had an interview lined up with Kevin Foley because he had yeah. played one season with uh, Copenhagen. Uh, there would have been nobody from the Faroes except <laughs> Brian Kerr and Johnny McDonald was nobody from Hungary last year we played Ghent from Belgium so we had uh, Dominic Foley on the podcast and I thought his story was incredible because it was seven years in Belgium uh, like a pretty strong league four years against top scorer captain played in cup finals so he'd be one of the success stories wouldn't he yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's funny you mentioned Dominic. I had an interview lined up with him myself, and it just never happened. And the book can only be so many pages, or or whatever. So, um, not everyone I interviewed even got in the book or planned to interview on the book. So he's one that kind of fell by the wayside in that regard. If there's ever going to be um, Emerald Exiles two, I'll, I'll be sure to, to absolutely include Dominic. But yeah, like he his story is great. I mean. Irish strikers who score regularly in the top flights of any leagues are hard to come by. Um, obviously outside of the domestic league here um, we don't make that many of them uh, since Robbie Keane there's, there's, you'd be hard pressed to kind of think of, of that many um, in the UK well certainly in the Premier League and um, there's been plenty in the Championship Evan Ferguson's obviously uh, on the scene now but yeah like as you say Belgium the Jupiter League it wouldn't be a top five league but it would certainly be a strong league um, Dominic Foley went there and had a really, really long career. And again, it was in the noughties when at a time, kind of just pre-internet, when people just weren't really looking up this kind of stuff or weren't really taking an interest or it wasn't easy to follow. I suppose a combination of all of those things. 
So Dominic's kind of career just kind of fell by the wayside a little bit in terms of of this country and what he did and international recognition. Like Dominic only won a handful, a handful of caps. He didn't actually represent Ireland that much. You think about it now, if you had an Irish striker playing in the Belgian league yeah. and for as long as you said there and scoring that amount of goals as he did on a you know reasonably consistent basis, you'd have to think he'd be in the squad. And um, we're not sort of, we haven't got riches in attacking areas at the moment. Obviously, it was a different time. We did have Robbie Keane. We weren't desperate for goals or anything like that. And there were, you know, other, I suppose you'd call them foils for him in the international setup. So maybe Foley wasn't a priority in the way he might be now. It just goes, to, it's, you know, it's just a time thing. But yeah, he had a great career. And, you know, there was obviously he moved around Belgium, played for a few different clubs. Um you know, he was seen as as a very um, uh, credible and tangible sort of leading line for some of the best clubs in that country. Um, and it's it's a very, very rare thing for Irish players to do that. We're even seeing more Irish players going abroad now, Carl, but, which is good to see. I'm glad it happens. But it's another thing then to actually make the step up and actually play regularly mm. um, at, at, for first-team football. And then if you're a striker, to score regularly. And he's one of the very few who's done that. Maybe um, Killian Sheridan would be another one who's done it to an extent. And Foley's transfer from Bowes to Ghent in the summer of 2005 was actually controversial because he'd yeah. only played four Bowes against them in the Entertoto Cup a few weeks earlier. Uh, other examples of that would be Ski McGee got a move from Galway to Holland by impressing against that Dutch club. Fabio O'Brien joined... Valletta, I think it was, just yeah, after knocking them out of Europe. Uh, in your research, has that happened quite a few times where the foreign club becomes interested because they just played against them? The, the examples you've given there are kind of the main ones that I've encountered. Um, yeah, you did see that. It kind of seemed to be more of a thing in the mid noughties There was that just sort of period, you know, that kind of maybe 2000 and, uh 2003, four to 2010 sort of period where it seems to happen a lot. It hasn't happened so much now, but there certainly has been interest in certain clubs. I know uh, in the last few years, I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head now, and I can't, but there's certainly been, I know the transfers haven't gone through, but I have been aware of interest in certain players from certain clubs uh, from the League of Ireland. Um, yeah, put me on the spot now. I can't actually think of the examples. But I know there have been a couple where there's been interest, but it hasn't gone anywhere. Um, so it's it's relatively rare. It doesn't happen as much now as it did. But I think as well, like you have to appreciate, you're kind of going back 15, 20 years at this point. I think across the board, scouting has become more sophisticated. And I think the, those foreign clubs are relying less on, oh, we've just spotted this bloke we played against. Let's sign him. I think... You know, interest tends to be more long-standing now. Um, the actual research in terms of scouting takes longer, and they put more into it. So, you know, I think if there's if there's Irish players doing well, and I I, I kind of feel like foreign clubs will foreign clubs will know about them, um, and and they'll do their due diligence, and and ultimately, you know make a move if they feel necessary. I don't think it's as reliant now on just sort of off the cuff. Oh, this guy was good. Let's go for him. Mm. 
So like I said, I especially last year when Robbers were in the group with uh, Jurgen's Mold and uh, Ghent, I started looking into which Irish players played in those countries. When we played Mold, I noticed there was an interview in the mirror with Sean McDermott. Mm. Uh, he's an Ireland under 21 keeper, formerly with Arsenal. Though. He was actually born in Norway. Uh, so on our podcast, I interviewed Gary Hogan, who doesn't even have a Wikipedia page in English. That's how obscure that one was. He has one in uh, Norwegian. Mm. Started out with Dublin City. Spent the rest of his career in Norway in the lower leagues. Became a bit of a cult hero. And the quote from him was, I went over for a week and I never came back. <laughs> so it just shows that like some Irish players, they they won't adapt to a new country. They won't overcome the language barrier, cultural differences. But some do end up adapting and they stay there and they can make a life there. Yeah, look, everyone's different. Um, one of the questions I, I would always ask an interviewee, uh, be it for the book or be it just a, a standard interview beforehand, was, you know, do you see yourself as a kind of, a home bird or do you see yourself as someone have you always seen yourself as someone who would like to travel and experience new cultures and new things like that and quite often the answer coming back to me is no I always thought of myself as a home bird I never thought I'd leave and these are people who've spent 10-15 years abroad in various different countries and um, so it, you know it just goes to show you people don't really um, you never know where you're going to end up you ever know where life's going to take you um, yeah, as you say, some people adapt and some people don't. Like there have been examples of, and um, I think we mentioned beforehand, just before we started recording, that like there are clubs that, or there are players that go to clubs and, and stay for weeks, maybe a couple of months, come back, and it just goes down in history as a very obscure, um, you know, little move. Um, and then there are players that go and end up just um, sort of carving a niche for themselves, almost as a journeyman traveler around the world um so you know you've got examples of look he, he's a he's a someone who's turned out for pats and shells but uh, i'll mention him you know paddy barris um went out to cambodia play under yeah. conor Nestor at Sveveng. he lasted weeks he didn't like it he just didn't he simply didn't like it and he just came home um but then you know on the other hand i even another example someone who has been around a lot and who's kind of experienced more than anyone, I would say, is um, Darren O'Dea. So Darren O'Dea obviously was at Celtic and then was in the championship with, I think, Leeds and Reading. Um, and then he first went out to Toronto in the MLS, um, where he played under the Dutch international um, Aaron Winter. Um, did okay there, was the captain. And then got a kind of... He was actually one of their higher earners, um, he was one of their their marquee players in MLS at the time when you could only have the I think it was three at that at that time. And he was earning a lot of money. Um, there was a bit of controversy about that because so why are you giving an Irish centre half all this money? You know, other clubs are going out and getting you know top class international strikers. Why are we paying so much money that would be? And eventually the club came round to that way of thinking, and a deal was struck that Darren would join. Um, Metalog Donetsk in Ukraine. He went out there in 20, I'm trying to think, that was late 2013 or maybe early 2014. Um, he went out basically just before um, the annexation of, of Crimea by Vladimir Putin and everything kicked off in Ukraine and he found himself in the midst of a civil war. And, you know, that was incredible. Like, that was extraordinary. Um, an extraordinary story. Darren has spoken to me about that 
you know, multiple times and he's spoken to so many other people as well. <laughs> but, you know, he, 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 he told me, and he's very honest and candid about it. He said, I only went there for the money. It was, it was a short thing. They were paying me loads of money. I was going to go. His family were back in Glasgow. He's going to go get the money, come out. And all of a sudden he found himself in his war zone and he was sleeping at the training ground. You know, he was just, it was all closed off. It wasn't what was sold to him. Um, but he's a good example of kind of the reality of, of football in a sense. He really wasn't happy there. Eventually he got out and came back to the UK, but he ended up then going to India as well. Um, so he played in India for a brief period and sort of a bit like Paddy Barrett in, in Cambodia. He hated it. He didn't like it at all, but guess what? The money was really good and it's a short career. And he went and he took the money and he played. And, you know, it was a decent level out in the Super League. That was kind of um, back when the Super League was just establishing itself and had a, a bit of a niche for bringing in um, high-profile players, similar to kind of MLS maybe 10, 15 years ago. Um, but they would do that on a regular basis. Um, but yeah, he hated it because he didn't like the um, the disparity between um, the rich and the poor. He just said, India, you know, you could be in a... a a six-star hotel, like just the absolute um, height of luxury and, and and lavish living. And you'd walk out the door and it's a slum. And he just couldn't cope with that. And he just said, it just wasn't for me. He didn't stay very long. Um, a few months, took his money and, and came back. Um, there's so many different sort of experiences people have. That That's the great thing about sort of this subject is that it, it's about the global game. So someone can go to America, someone can go to Australia, someone can go to France or Spain or wherever. And it's kind of a relatively uh, Western experience, um, a relatively comfortable one for someone coming from this culture to go and experience. But then you go to places like the Middle East or India or, you know, Southeast Asia or wherever it might be. And it's just a completely different life. Um, and some people take to it and some people don't. I think probably more don't, but there are examples of people who've created a, a life out there. I briefly mentioned Connor Nestor. You know, Connor's uh, managing. He's from Limerick. He's a, a young coach who you know did his FAI badges here. He'd been actually working. Um, I think it was on the FAI ETB. He'd done work there, and essentially was he was going out to Australia to visit a friend. And he had visa issues, I think it was, or he's waiting on his visa to come through. And he had to stop off in Cambodia and stay there for a few weeks while his, his visa issues were sorted out. And he ended up um, not only, he ended up essentially going into Sveveng, helping coach their kid te kids' teams. And then he started helping coach the first team. And then he became first team manager. And then he led them to the Cambodian title and into the Asian Champions League. And now he's managing in the Indian Super League. He's managing Hyderabad. So he's made a life for himself out there. He's been there for years now. And he's really highly respected, doing really, really well. And yeah, you never know where it's going to take you, Carl, to be honest. Um, some people go for it. Some people don't. Yeah, that'd be one of the success stories. But I suppose I get equally as much a kick out of the, the lesser known nomads who only stay for one season. Um, again, a couple of Roberts things. Dean Dillon, 
uh, former hoop, uh, went to Gibraltar. It's quite random. Yeah, John Devine spoke to him in the program last year. Uh, former Arsenal player. He went to Norway, India. Funny enough. Uh, and Rovers in succession in the 1980s, one season each. Um, but just like Scandinavia, probably more uh, more frequent destination for Irish players. Um, again, I spoke to Carlo man Pat Walker in the program, and you talked to his son Kevin in your book for his time with Orbro uh, in your gardens about his uh, Irish heritage. So he had an interesting career in football and music, didn't he? Yeah, um, it's, it's you know it's funny you say you spoke to Pat. I, I've spoken to Pat a few times as well. He, the man could talk for Ireland. I'd say that was a long interview. Oh my, oh my god, <laughs> that was a long one. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, he's unbelievable. Yeah, even when I talk to Kevin, Pat usually pops his head in the door and, and has a chat with you anyway. So you know you're in for a long one. Um, yeah, those two had a really interesting career. In fairness to them, and Pat obviously went out. He he played for Gillingham in the UK and had, had played in the League of Ireland and then went out to to Sweden. Um, where he actually met his wife and, and settled there. So he was someone who was happy to to sort of start a new life in a new country. But uh, yeah, both his sons played professional football in, in Sweden, um, Robert and Kevin. Kevin is the younger of the two. He obviously played to a higher standard. He played um, underage for Sweden. He actually played um, against Ireland. Um, there's a picture of him in the book, actually, um, when he came to play for Sweden, I think it was an under 15s or under 16s international, I think in Dublin somewhere. And um, there's a picture of him with like his cousins who came to visit uh, and came to watch him play that day. Um, yeah, so Kevin's career is really interesting. Um, he's a league, he's a league winner. Um, in Sweden, he's played for some of the biggest clubs, AIK, uh, Joe Gardens. Uh, he now plays for his hometown team, Marebro. Um. But yeah, he had a very interesting career. He actually had a, a serious illness when he was a younger man. Um, he had blood poisoning, which threatened not only his career, but his life. Um, but he recovered from that. Uh, he sort of built a career for himself uh, as a, a kind of player in the in the Swedish leagues, a really good midfield player, passer. Um, he's had a couple of trials, in fairness, actually. Um, or he did, you know, um, he's in his 30s now. But um, when he was younger, I think he was over Bristol City. Um, for a spell he'd been over at a couple of other clubs there was always that urge to, to maybe go to England and see where that could take him but he never did but yeah as you alluded to his the thing he's kind of known for um, and I'm sure some people have seen the story because he was actually on the Late Late Show shortly yeah. after it happened but um, yeah he won Swedish Pop Idol um, which is just bizarre I mean it's the equivalent of you know, I don't know, Wes Houlihan winning sort of X Factor or something in England, a professional footballer who enters a reality music competition on TV and wins it. Um, just bizarre, really. So he's actually got this sort of half and half career now where he still plays professionally. Um, they're actually a Ray Brower in the Swedish second tier now this season. They're relegated. But um, yeah, so he plays professionally. And he's also like a professional sort of singer. He releases albums and singles and appears on TV and does all that. So it's quite unusual. You know, I, I talked to him before I asked him, has his life sort of changed in any great way in terms of interest and things like that? And he's very reluctant to say that, you know, he was sort of saying, oh, you know, I'm not Michael Jackson. I don't get mobbed or anything like that. But there, there certainly is a, a different element, I think, to, to people who recognise him now. There's a lot of people who would just know him from singing and TV. 
um, as opposed to being a journeyman sort of footballer in the Swedish second tier. Um, it's a really interesting story, actually. Obviously, he could have uh, he could have declared for Ireland. Um, ultimately, they, they did they did look to do that. I think um, they had their they had forms filled out. They had applied for an Irish passport for Kevin. Um, so I, you know, this was maybe in his late teens, early twenties. So I think they'd given up or not given up, but I think the family had made a conscious decision that they wanted to pursue Ireland as opposed to Sweden. Um, in terms of internationally at that point, but it just never, it never came to fruition. But his story is very interesting, all the same. And actually, you mentioned sorry Scandinavia, um, and, and kind of Rovers players. You know, Connor Powell is another one. Um, Connor, I don't know if you've spoken to him. Went to Vard Hogsund. Um, y- you know, he had I think two seasons there. If I'm not mistaken. Um, I can't remember exactly, but that was in I think the third tier of Norwegian football. So that was quite low. But again, you know, credit to Connor for for taking the plunge and actually making that move and just experiencing something different. Because I know he had a partner at the time and things like that back at home. So, you know, I think it's always important to to kind of um to credit footballers for taking that little bit of a risk. Like in any aspect of life, it's easy to kind of stay at home and just do the do the regular thing and maintain the status quo, but it's good that, that the players go out and experience other, not just football cultures, but lifestyles and, and just cultures in general. You know, it's good. It broadens the mind. And um, I think, you know, it's good. It's heartening, actually, to see so many young footballers actually doing that now. In terms of the, the top leagues, um, I'll give Paul Jammond uh, a shout out here for his time in Portugal. But, but let's say the top leagues, France, Spain, Germany, Italy, you had to start in your book. Steve Finn in 2008, Ian Hart 2007, the last Irish players to play in the top flight in either France, Spain, Germany or Italy. You wrote that two years ago, but it's no longer the case. Uh, mm-hmm. James Abanqua made his Serie A debut for Udinese against Juventus in June. Uh, is he the first since then, or is there another one? Um, there's, well, Fetsi uh, Eveselli has played for Udinese as well. Yeah. So there's those two at Udinese. Um, I'm just trying to think, actually, now. Spain... Um, John Joe Patrick Finn I don't think has played in La Liga yet um, so I think we're waiting on him but he's close he's kind of on the fringes at Catafe so he potentially could be the next one um, I'm just trying to think now uh, France well obviously Jacob Bryan's gone to Lyon now the talk is that Jacob Bryan um, might be sent on loan um, potentially to a League 2 side so and I say League 2 I mean the, the French second tier not not in England um, so he's a potential one as I say John Joe Finn is a potential one um, in Germany Connor Knott never made an appearance in the Bundesliga he's just joined the team in Austria so yeah as far as I'm aware I think it's it's a Banqua and a Vaseli of two um, at Udinese that have actually made the leap but it, it, it's been a long time since Steve Finn I mean that's that's 15 years ago so mm. um, it is one of those things Irish players have just never I think in the continent, unfairly so, there's always been that perception of, oh, an Irish player, that's just an inferior English player. Why would we? You know, there's been very little interest in taking Irish players to the main leagues on the continent for years and years and years. Obviously, Finnan, when he went, he was a Champions League winner with Liverpool, so he had that in his pocket. Ian Hart had reached the Champions League semi-final with Leeds and Obviously, he had a lot of Ireland caps at that point. 
um, had played at a World Cup. So again, he had that. So since then, maybe I think perhaps the sell has been harder because the Irish national team has struggled. Um, but it's the younger players now you're seeing that are going. So I think that that stands um, stands up well in terms of the future, maybe, and the potential. But I also just think as well, I think agencies and representatives of players are just more open now to uh, the notion of, of going abroad. You have to be, given Irish players' struggles to get game time in the Premier League over the last sort of decade, 15 years. It just declines season upon season upon season. Um, so so you have to look elsewhere. Even in the championship, it's dwindling a little bit. You know, championship clubs now don't stick to signing English players and, and Irish players. They're signing players from all over the world. So I think there is that little bit of 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 um a realization maybe that there is a whole football world out there for players. Look at Jacob Bryan. He was on the books of Crystal Palace. He wasn't going to break through. He'd built at Molenbeek last year. He'd won promotions to the Belgian first division. Uh, you know, played really well. So he was in a really good position. I'm sure there were top flight teams in Belgium that were looking at him. Obviously, he's gone to Lyon. They were looking at him. Realistically, he could have gone to a championship team. He could have joined a Norwich, maybe a Cardiff, someone like that, Ipswich. But he's gone to Lyon. It depends what you want, really. But I mean, I it's just. I think there's been a realization that there is more to 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 football than the Premier League and the Championship. There are other ways around it. Jacob Bryan, whether he gets in the Leon team or not, I don't know. But even if he went out on loan and did well at a lower league, Leon club, or or maybe the league below, and he did well, he could get really good experience under his belt, um, both on and off the pitch. And actually then potentially earn a move to a really high championship club or potentially even a a, a mid-table Premier League club. And he comes in then in a position of strength, not as a player with no experience, not as, you know, an under-21 player, but as a Leon player or as a player who's played a season or two in the French League and has come up against high-caliber players and has performed well. So there are other ways to do it, really. Um, and I think that's... That that that's really important. Um, yeah, I, I you know I'm on the whole I'm glad to see more players kind of taking that route. So we're seeing young players go from the League of Ireland to top leagues. Justin Ferris like uh, should be another one. Should be confirmed sometime yeah. uh, this week. He could make a Serie A debut. But uh, established League of Ireland players say in their mid twenties that'll be more something that happens forty years ago. Noel Campbell. Former Robbers midfielder had an impressive eight years with uh, Fortuna Cologne in the 1970s, the first Irishman to play in the Bundesliga. Uh, he also had Noel King in the 80s and Jack and Madonna going to France. Liam Buckley and Alan Campbell went to Spain at Racing Santander. Uh, mm. They both played in Belgium as well. Campbell, impressive, 16 goals in one season. Bucco makes his debut away to Barcelona in 1986 against Gary Lineker and Mark Hughes. That sort of thing is kind of hard to imagine now, um, nowadays, isn't it? Yeah, you just don't see it now. Um, like with, with an established League of Ireland player, um, going to you know La Liga or going to the French league and just immediately going into the team, it is you just don't see it. Um, I mean, I guess the kind of the 
closest example or the best example in recent years is Jack Byrne going to Applewell. Um, I know it's Cyprus. It's not one of the better leagues in Europe, but they're a kind of a a supposedly you know title challenging team. They've had a poor few years, but they are um, the team we're familiar with in the Champions League and things like that. So I think that was probably the 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 thinking there, maybe, or even just going to going to a league like Cyprus and then potentially that leading to a bigger club in Greece or a bigger club in Italy, maybe. Um, yeah, you just don't see that anymore. There's loads of examples. You, you've named them there, uh, Carl, you know, Don Givens as well in Switzerland and places like that. Um, it just doesn't happen. I don't think it's it's particularly going to... I don't think it's something that's going to come back, really, at this point. Um, just the jump for me is just too big. I just don't see teams in the top five sort of leagues in Europe just looking at a League of Ireland player and going, yep, he's going to come in and play straight away and make his debut, you know, away to Barcelona at the new Camp or wherever it might be. Um, it's a big, big, big leap. And as well, like some of those players you mentioned as well were Ireland internationals as well at the time. Mm-hmm. They, you know, had that international experience. Um, so I think that probably even probably stood to their transfer more so than anything else that you're buying an experienced international player um, as opposed to signing a League of Ireland player. Um, yeah, look, I think those days are gone. But um, as I say, there are different routes now. Younger players are going. Um, but, but for established League of Ireland players, we've seen um, we've seen them get moves to Australia. You look at um, Aaron McInef. Yeah. Um, obviously, he went to Scotland in, in the interim, but then kind of went... Um, ultimately to to Perth Glory, um, you've seen kind of players like that make those kind of moves, um, even MLS to to an extent. Not everyone goes to MLS straight away. Sometimes they join and um a USL club first. Uh, Richie Ryan be an example yeah. there, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, Richie, um, Richie never actually got to play in MLS, but he was over obviously in USL for years and years and years, mm. and is still there now as a coach. Um, yes, yeah, so he's a he's a good example of someone who was able to kind of leave the League of Ireland and have a lengthy professional career at a good standard. Um, he actually moved like he even went to to the to well, it was Canada first. Um, he went, to, I think it was Canada. He went to Ottawa Fury, and then he went down um, into the US and, and played for a number of different clubs. Um, so yeah, look. You, I think League of Ireland players can um, can look beyond England and Scotland to have a really lengthy and um, fulfilling professional career, but probably for like established players in their mid twenties or mid to late twenties, you're looking at America, you're looking at Australia, um, leagues like that, where I think clubs will be more um, open. Um, to signing players of that level and taking them on um, and kind of using their their ability and their experience in a way that can kind of further them. Like America, the thing there is, I mean, a lot of the clubs Richie Ryan, for example, played for were essentially emerging clubs that had only started a couple. Like I remember he was one of the first Ottawa Fury signings, I think. I think that was their first season when he arrived. Um, so... You know they were they were brand new on the block. He played for a few other clubs as well. I'm trying to think like Paso Locomotive. They're not that long established, 
So for them to get a player like Richie, who had played for Sunderland and had been in the UK, had played lower league, had obviously been back in Ireland, um, that that's a big thing for them. Um, having someone with, of that caliber, so yeah, I think it, it it's not that Irish players can't have or can't get moves. Um, it's just where to, and at the moment, I think unless you're a teenager or maybe under the age of 21, Europe is probably closed off to most, I'd imagine. It's a shame. I, it shouldn't be like that. Like, if you're if you're a player, you know, the cliche is, oh, you don't really reach your peak till you're 28. So if you're 25, why can't you go to maybe a Segunda division team or something like that? And why can't you play your football there? But it just seems to me that the... The clubs there just don't view um, the League of Ireland or maybe Irish players more broadly as the type or the type of fit that they would want at a certain club. Jack Bourne maybe being a uh, maybe being um, an outlier there, but there there does seem to be that perception that again, as I kind of said earlier, they're almost like are oh, the Irish inferior British. You know, it's like that thing every time we play a foreign club in the Europa League. Or um, every time the international team plays someone and the press conference, the manager will say, oh, the British style is, you know, very difficult to play against. And we all, you know, throw our hands up in the air and say, how dare you? Um, there is that perception, I think, you know, it's it's tricky. You mentioned Jack Byrne there a couple of times. I actually wanted to bring him up. Um, the the Cybers move didn't quite work out. Mick McCarthy, there was like a double Irish link there uh, yeah. where I think Mick McCarthy was sacked virtually the day after Jack made his debut. But uh, a success story was 2016 when he went to Holland with Cambor, mm-hmm. a small club with a 10,000 stadium, struggling at the bottom of the league. But Jack said he loved it there. He said the style of football suited him down to the ground, got to play, got to play the likes of Ajax and PSV on a weekly basis rather than, you know, under 20s, threes football with Man City. Um, he got a call up to Ireland and all under Martin O'Neill. Um, are you surprised that more Irish players don't go to the leagues like Netherlands, especially creative ones like Jack, who like to get on the ball? Yeah, I am a bit, yeah. Um, I am a bit. their shrinks and they'll force them out wide into unnatural position and all that stuff. Yeah, a- another player similar to Jack would be Dan Crowley, um, who was at Arsenal and kind of there's always been talk that Dan will declare for Ireland and play for Ireland or whatever you know his career has never quite happened but he did have a spell out in the Netherlands as well similar to Jack um I think he's back in the UK now um yeah it, it the style of play there would certainly suit someone like him I think he's probably played um so sort of outside of his time at Rovers that's probably been his best spell in football that season at Cambor um yeah, it's it's that's a good point actually. I think the Dutch league we're, we're talking about what kind of leagues could Irish players go to. The Dutch league is probably one of the better ones, whereby I think it's surprising more players um, aren't going there, um, especially you know the talent that I think we have in our in our, especially the younger players coming through. I think some a lot of them would quite suit that kind of. I actually read somewhere recently someone was advocating why don't more this exact question why don't more players go to the Netherlands? I can't remember who it was. I'm not sure if it was a journalist or an ex-pro, but um, 
yeah like the question was raised and and it's a, it's a very good point i don't really have the answer to that why they don't do it but the dutch league is good as well in in the sense of like it's not one of the top european uh leagues not like the top five but it's a lot higher level than places like austria or switzerland things like that and you do get to play those top teams um on a regular basis um outside of those few top teams as well it's quite competitive um and the style of football is good um like a player who's played in the league of ireland who had a kind of reasonable career in the eredivisie was um barry maguire not irish born dutch born but um with an irish father um you know there was a lot of buzz about him years ago when he was playing for utrecht and he scored that goal against celtic in the i think it was your uefa cup or europa league maybe um early stages and everyone in Ireland was going who's this guy called Barry Maguire he must be Irish um and he was to a point um but you know he represented the Netherlands at um international level I think up to under 19s maybe um you know but he played for Utrecht he played for Venlo he played for Den Bosch um he's also been out in Switzerland he had that season in in Ireland with um Limerick when he did quite well, actually, he was he was a good player, um, and he was similar to Jack, a sort of midfielder, uh, liked to get on the ball, liked to pass it, was a threat, could score goals, um, so yeah, that that type of player was definitely um someone I think were capable of exporting. It, it's just about picking that right move. I think at the time the Mick McCarthy linked to Applewell seemed like a great thing. You know, oh, this is going to work out brilliantly. You know. You know, Jack playing for an Irish manager at Applewell, it'll be great. Um, but at the time, it was a bit of a basket case club. You mentioned they got rid of Mick days after Jack signed. They got rid of the next manager not that long after either. And um, they go through managers like, you know, most people go through underpants. It's ridiculous. Um, so I don't think it was a great club for Jack, to be honest. Um but look, it, 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 it just depends on the timing sometimes and the people that you have around you. It was a great move for Killian Sheridan when he went. Different scenario, I appreciate, because Killian wasn't coming from the League of Ireland. But, you know, it really worked for him. It didn't work for Jack. And sometimes that's just the way. I just wanted to give a, a mention to Chris McCann as well. Uh, a, a league winner's medal in the MLS and the League of Ireland. Can't be too many of those. But um, no. well, my last question on this topic um if you were to do international teams you would talk about pico lopez of cape verde and Eamon zayib in libya um obviously zayib has that story at club level as well that incredible hat trick when he played in iran but would that be like a subcategory category of emerald isles irish players who play for foreign teams yeah potentially um you know, there obviously are, there's obviously Irish players who played, as you say, internationally, Irish-born players who played internationally for other clubs like Zayed and Pico Lopez and people like that. Um, and then you have your kind of, um, you have your kind of um, Irish eligible players um, who have pl- played internationally for other countries like at youth level. So I mentioned Kevin Walker earlier, I mentioned Barry Maguire there. Those are guys who represented um, other countries and things like that. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, of, there's loads of American guys as well who would fall under that category. Uh, the likes of Shane O'Neill. Shane is from, I think Shane was born in Cork, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was born in Middleton. 
um, and essentially moved to America at a very young age. Um, he played with the States until under 23 level, but he's had a really long career in the MLS, um, mostly known for his time at Colorado Rapids, where he would have played with um, Sean St. Ledger. I think he would have played with uh, Kevin Doyle, Caleb Folan. Um, yeah, so there's people like that as well. So, yeah, it probably is a little bit of a subcategory. Like, the, there's loads. Um, there's loads, really. It's only when you truly get into it, you realise the depth of, of how many of these there are um, and how kind of far it goes. Like, even there's plenty of young lads who played um, internationally for at youth level for Ireland um, who are not Irish-born. The likes of, like, your Selshuk uh, Tidim, who came through at um, FC Pauli and Hansa Rostock and places like that, and then went on to play, you know, lower league in Germany for years, and, and nothing ever came of him. Like he's he's got an interesting story as well. I remember um, interviewing him years and years ago. Um, yeah, look, there, there's there's plenty, and even like I think there's examples of of Irish managers, um, not players, now managers who've gone on and managed other international teams. Mm-hmm. So you've got the likes of James Donnelly um, back in, this would have been the 1930s, he was the Turkey manager and he managed Turkey at the Olympics. Uh, John Uh, McGrath. Yeah, New Zealand. Yeah, absolutely, John McGrath. Um, Obviously, BK at the Faroe Islands. And then you've got um, all sorts of different associations, you know, with different national teams. Um, So, yeah, look, there's, there's probably a million different subcategories, to be honest with you, Carl, on this subject. Um, it's so broad like we've, we've only really touched the surface there today and in fact the book only really touches the surface and um, you know you could go on and on and on and just find find so many examples of of exiles and all the different forms yeah we'll talk about them doc now just for a minute but um before we do you're hinting at a sequel there but um emerald exiles the book is just still available on amazon and various places yeah, it's available online, so you can get it on Amazon, you can get it on Eason and Waterstones and various places, and some bookshops might still have stock on the shelves as well, so by all means pop in. If if a bookstore doesn't have it, just ask and, and they can order it for you. As I said, you're based in Lowell's. Uh, I've seen you been doing a number of match reports in the papers, the Sun, Independent, RTE, on Dundalk games the last few weeks, so you're watching them very closely. Uh, what did you make of their European campaign, first of all? Uh, not much to be honest. Um, they were poor, uh, really. Um, they made more of uh, Bruno Magpies than they should have. Um, you know they 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 struggled through that. Um, they didn't win the first leg, and then beat them at home. Um, and then against KA, like in my opinion, there's no reason why Dundalk couldn't have beaten KA, who ultimately went out to Bruges. I think it was ten two on aggregate. Um, I I think that their European campaign has been been really poor. Um, I'm sure, you might say the same about Rovers, but um, yeah, Dundalk are are a strange team. You look at their, their position in the league table, and you kind of think, okay, they're not that far off the top. Actually, you know, they're kind of very much in the mix. They're just kind of behind Pats and Derry and 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 Bowes. Um, they're in the mix, but from someone who watches them regularly, like I. I I'm not entirely sure how they're there. I'm not entirely sure how they're so close. Um, they, they have a knack, I guess, for getting results. When you have players like Pat Hoban in your team who will just 
almost by will, will just score a goal at some point. That's a great thing to have. They do have that experience in the side, but if you're looking for really, really impressive performances this season, they're thin on the ground. They beat Pats 5-0 at home early in the season. Um, that's been their best performance. They were really good that day. Pats were shocking. But on the whole, yeah, it hasn't been a super season for them, Doc. Um, Stephen O'Donnell was talking after the European exit about how you know last season was the first season. It was very much a season of transition. This season was a season of building. And next season, they're going to really push on. And he kind of included Europe in that. You know, he wasn't too um wasn't too concerned that they'd gone out to KA um because this season was all about building and next season was going to be a big push on Europe. But at the minute, it's so competitive up at the top of the league, there's absolutely no guarantee they'll qualify for it. In fact, they're they're probably the outsiders to qualify for Europe. So I don't know. I feel like maybe he's getting a little bit ahead of himself there. There's a lot of work to do at Dundalk. So yeah, it, the, the jury is very much out on them, I'd say, this season. Yeah, last time out, the Beast I got 1 0 Oriel Park with uh, Abby Larkin's cousin, Daniel Kelly, scoring the winner, heading past Wrexham bound Luke McNicholas. Uh, only one league defeat since their defeat in Tata in June. But like you say, they're in fifth, uh, but only a few points off Bowes and Derry. So you feel that under Steve McDonald, if you count as progress this season, it should be. European places and a cup run as well. Would some dark fans expect that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, maybe, you know, if you're going to be generous to O'Donnell, you'd say, well, okay, that last season was his first season at the club. You know, they were a mess before he arrived, like, you know, with the peak six ownership and all that kind of stuff and the really, really sort of odd recruitment and things like that. Um, they were a bit of a mess and, and last season was a transition but he might have outdone himself in that he qualified for Europe so obviously when you do that expectations go up so they finished third last season qualified for Europe anything less at this season will be seen as a regression but it's so competitive because bows are much better than they were last season um, Pats are better than they were well you know m- maybe you know you could argue that but um, there's just more competitive up at the top of the league and I'd be very surprised if Dundalk finished third which means in league table terms it'll be a regression not qualifying for Europe for a team like Dundalk is is a big deal because the money means a lot to them um, as it does for a lot of clubs in Europe and yeah a cup run would be important they, they didn't play well against Bray on Friday um, they were very fortunate to get a late goal and, and go through there. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be putting money on the dog winning winning the cup. It's actually funny. I hadn't even realised um, only when I was doing a bit of research before the game, like Dundalk had reached seven successive FAI Cup finals um, up to 2020 and haven't been in it in the two years since. And now they're aiming to get back there again. Like seven successive finals is incredible. Um but, yeah, I, I wouldn't be putting money on, on them getting there again. They need to improve. They need to start playing better. Um, having Daryl Horgan back is, is good. It's given the fans a real boost. Um, but, like, you know, it's it's Daryl Horgan who's six and a half years older than he was when he left. And I think fans have to remember that as well. 
He's 31. He's not even playing on the wing now because they've got, as you say, Daniel Kelly and they've got Ryan O'Kane playing on the wings. So he's playing more with number 10. Um, so he's not that kind of swashbuckling winger that fans remember. So I think fans have to adjust to that as well because once he walked through the door, again, similar to qualifying for Europe last year, their expectations go through the roof. We've got Daryl Horgan back. He's got 17 caps for Ireland. This is amazing. It gets a different player. We're still really good quality. I've seen him in his two uh, the two league games uh, live this uh, since he came back, and he looks, you know, really, 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 really on it. But he's just he's a very different player, and I think he's going to be used differently. So um, it'll be tough. But look, like obviously, you you talk about cup runs there. Rovers aren't going to have a cup run this year because Dundalk accounted for them. Um. So, you know, never say never for Friday. And they could cause an upset, but I do think they need to play better as a a collective. They need to attack better. The game at Oriel Park, the cup match, that was very much um, you know, a rear guard action because Paul Doyle was sent off half an hour in. So you're playing for an hour with 10 men. So they were able to defend really well. Um, but obviously the league game's gonna be different. You're, you're unlikely to have that dynamic. So, you know, I'd, I'd imagine um, Dundalk might stroll in that one. Yeah, you said seven cup finals in a row. I, th- I think that is a record, but not quite as good as uh, six cup wins in a row, which was uh, Rovers <laughs> in the 1960s. <laughs> but yeah, two wins each this season uh, for Rovers and Dundalk. So uh, give us a score prediction just to finish off there. Um, I will say... Uh, Dundalk have been really shaky at the back recently, um, despite a couple of recent clean sheets. Um, so I will say 3 1 Rovers. 3 1 Rovers. Okay. Uh, the book is Emerald Exiles. Uh, Barry Landy, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, fascinating interview. Thanks so much. Thanks, Carl. So that was Barry. And um, by the way, before we talk about it, easily the most pleasant, loud accent I've ever heard. He would be regarded as probably a posh, loud. What do you call them? A Lowther? A Lowthian? Um, We're Dubliners, what are they? Oh, I don't know. Um, He said he's from, I think he said he's from RD, because he said he's from half, halfway between Drogheda and Dundalk. I think RD is in between the two of them, isn't it? So he's, I think he's uh, a little bit of a posh, mm. loud man. But so he officially supports neither team. But um, wherever he's from, but didn't he say he lived in England for a while as well? He did. He did little twang every yeah. so often of loudness coming in. <laughs> yeah. So. But um, yeah, what do you think of that, Gary? Absolutely brilliant. Love it. Um, it's the type of thing you nearly make a database out of. It. And there is Twitter pages, isn't there? Emerald, like, that's that's, that's the him, thing. Yeah, yeah it's him. it's brilliant. I love it. I love hearing about all these stories. Darren O'Day mm-hmm. sleeping in the training ground in Ukraine, like all these players going abroad and just travelling around I, I think it's class I always liked it, how it, I, I like the inner workings which you never really hear about I like knowing how it came about how mm. someone signed for like a Namibian team in the Forest Division it's I just find it fascinating I find it fascinating the connections and why that manager took a chance on a random Irish fella you know I just think it's yeah. brilliant uh, we mentioned Italy there a few times because obviously a few Irish players yeah, have Festi gone to Ebocelli. Serie A started for Udinese on the weekend as well gave away yeah. a penalty. he was playing for Udinese against Juve 3-0 loss I think it ended up but like fascinating stuff like that and with Jake O'Brien just recently 
made a big move to Leon. We were talking about. It. We're not sure if he's going to mm. play about if he's going to play or not. But those things kind of fascinate me, you know. Yeah. So big shout out to Barry. Fantastic stuff, Ruff. Really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um. Forgot to give our pal Roddy Collins I mentioned there. He managed in Malta for a few weeks. Jesus. Yeah. Remember that. Um. The Brian Kerr one in Faroe Islands. We didn't talk about that because my article on this week's program is entirely dedicated to the Faroe Islands and. Clax you fix. actually did it. I actually did it, Gary. Clax fix, fairy tale run, and then I talk about Brian Kerr, his two year spell, two thousand nine to two thousand eleven. Uh, I absolutely love all that stuff, and yeah, just on this season, Bradeblick, our conquerors, they uh, went on to lose to Copenhagen, and then a Bosnian team, I think they lost it. So now they have uh, a Conference League playoff. To against Struda of Macedonia, so that's their chance to get into the group stages, and to be the first Icelandic team to get into group stages. Klaxvik, as we know, have already become the first Faroese team to reach a European group stage. So they will face Sheriff of Moldova in the Europa League playoff round. <laughs> but whether they lose that or not, they're the guaranteed group stage football. But otherwise, some tasty toys. You got Ludogorets versus Ajax in the Europa League. Ludogorets versus Ajax. Interesting. Interesting. As you mentioned, Ajax is that um, Neil Warnock mentioned they signed Chuba Akpom from Middlesbrough for like 13 million. And Neil Warnock, with the forked tongue that he has, came out and says, I don't know how they're actually getting 12.3 for him. If they want him to score goals, he's not going to do it. He's <laughs> a striker. <laughs> he used to play, I couldn't believe it. And then we have in the Conference League playoff round Aston Villa versus Hibbs. Yeah, the, John McGinn. Played for both teams, so homecoming for him. That's going to be a great away trip mm-hmm. for both sets. Hearts versus Pelk. Ooh. AZ Alkmaar versus Bran. Remember them? Oh, yes. They're back. They got relegated in 2022. Bran are back? So they won the cup whilst in the first division. So what? they won a cup and promotion double. Oh, so they won the yeah. cup and they got promoted. Jesus. Yeah. Now they're in the, in the Europa League. There's a stat for you now. You're going to have to dig into that. Look into other countries who ever well, got promoted at the same time. Won sporting, the sporting Fingal yeah. is the obvious one. They did it in 2009. Um, or sorry, not Bradeblick. Uh, Ghent versus Applewell, Jack's old club. So last oh. chance Lewin for those, for Ghent there, to get Europe this season. Absolutely, yeah, considering they but, did um, last year, they got to the quarters, I think it was, with West Ham. Someone make, was making a point in one of the, in the groups that the qualifiers are so hard to predict. You look at Basel, Got to a semi-final last year. Then they lose to uh, Tobal. But Derry nearly beat them. Mm-hmm. So like... It's weird, isn't it? It's there's there's literally no predicting it. Mad results. Yeah, no, you can't predict it. 100%, yeah. So, very interesting stuff. Going forward with the European adventures. So, um, yeah, Prof. Up next, Stan Levins. Predictions. <laughs> So I'm going to go clean bill of health here. I'm going to take the Shelbourne injury news for what it was two weeks ago. Well, that said that everyone's back except Jack. Yeah. That's what he said there, really. So I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with that. And if we're wrong, we're wrong. What can we do? Um, I'm, I might have a change of mind here. Do you think, though, though he'll start Ferrugia and Clark, or will he bring them on as subs for the, a couple of games first? Ed, well, it depends what they've been doing the last two weeks with this... Gap week. 
of failure. Yeah, it depends of what, what they've been doing. So if they've come through unscathed from friendly games or whatever it is, because I'm guessing they would have had games against each other, 11v11s and friendlies. So it all depends on how they've done during those weeks. I so, reckon he'll bring both of them on in the second half, if they're both fit. Yeah. And with an eye to balls, maybe? Very much so, he'll have an eye on that. He'll 100% have an eye on that. But it's all about picking up points now at every stage. Oh, I know that. I'm just possible. talking about injury... Actual, yeah. Progression, not talking right. about... I'm going to say, results. I'm going to go with his injury news from last week as gold. So... There's, there's your first mistake <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah believe in oh, Stephen Bradley's I'm, injury I'm looking at Manus here and I'm just scratching his name out but I'm gonna I'm gonna go forward I'm gonna trust the main man as well I'm gonna trust the big man in his last season at Rovers so Manus I'm gonna go Pico Grace Cleary I'm going Clark and Frugia because as far as I'm concerned and I read the two week old his injury news <laughs> we'll go Clark and Frugia and if I'm wrong I'm wrong but I, I'm projecting positive energy here Prof I'm projecting positive right. energy. I'm going to go Gary O'Neill and Watts. I think Wattsy is a little bit more creative and that's what we need. We need to be able to go for teams with a little bit of creativity. I don't think that Richie Tell kind of has it. He's more of a... Well, I can tell you now, Gar, there's nine games left, is it? I will be picking Watts ahead of Tell every single week. We need we need that little bit a little bit more creativity in the team, yeah. Um, Gary O'Neill is going to stab beside him. And Bort, Gaff and Bork. Bort, Gaff and Bork. Um, I think it's a very, very capable forward line there. Three, five. I'm going to go 2-1 as well. I'm going to go 2-1, hard-fought game, because Dundalk are no mugs. O'Donnell's actually doing well. Mm-hmm. They're no mugs, they're playing well. They're finally getting out of uh, the slump. But you know what? They're Towards the business end of the season, they're only starting... Well, not business end for them. Still depends, still very much so up in the air as regards to the league. And league positions. I'm just going to check the league now. Prof and see how they're getting on. So Dundalk are currently on 43 points. Which isn't too far off. It's 5th. They're a few points off yeah. Yeah so they're 4 points off 2nd place. They're only 8 points off of us. Well you heard Barry there saying. He's not sure how they're there. Mm. So they definitely have something about them. They're coached well. It's going to be a tough game. It's not going to give us. Mm. We're not going to get an inch out of this. I'm going to go 2-1. I'm going to say Gaff and Bork. 2-1 win. Like, we've had the two defeats at Oriel Park this season. One was against 10 men, so that was horrific. But at home to Stephen Dundonna's teams, Dundalk teams, hmm. we have been, we've been getting the wins. I think I think we will, I think we will but it won't. Hmm. Like, if Hooban, Hooban's going to be a pain in, in the proverbial, so... It's another thing as well. I hate, I hate playing against him because he's always capable of a goal. He's a good player, let's be honest. So it depends. And they've gotten a couple of signings as well. So mm-hmm. Daryl Horgan could be running at us in that number 10 role. So it's going to be very, very interesting. Problem. Buzzing to go back to the Block X and South Stand. Um, well, I'm going to be less optimistic about my 11. And I'm going to say that he'll start Poom on the left. Yeah. And then he'll bring Clark on in the second half. Yeah. But... I will pick Fruja right wing back to start. God knows if you will or not. Hope so. Um, other than that, I've got the same team. Yeah, Gary Neil, Watts, Burt, Gaff, Burke, and I'll say a one nil win. And I hope we do score at least one goal, Gary, because there's a pending stat which I won't say now. No. 
Can't, can't be revealing pending stats. I can't be revealing pending stats. Because you'll jinx them. I'll reveal all in my post-match with Bradzer. Should we get the goal and the win, hopefully. But uh, we are on the verge of a club record. Yes, excellent stuff. Um, um, people were looking ahead to the next three games. I mean, there's nine games left. There's a full series of games. The The next three games could become irrelevant by the three games after that. But you do yourself no favours looking forward here. It like you hate it. You I know you hate it, but I I can't help but shake the feeling that the away game versus Pats is gonna be some sort of clincher or decider. It's the third last game of the season possibly. I'm looking at it and it's just ominous. It's like a fucking elephant in the room, it's sticking out at me. It's yeah. just screaming at me. We got a bit of good news there and that Pats are about to lose Adam Murphy to Bristol City. Very, very good player, yeah. Um Derry's game in hand. Is against UCD, which is a bit annoying because away, it's basically a gimme. Away, away, yeah. We're all students that day. We're all students, yeah. So there you have, there you have balls on Friday, so you know there you could drop points. They're there. travelling. Am I? Am I right? Actually, I actually can't remember if they're travelling or not. Pats of UCD shells away, draw it at home. I mean, shells away. That that's tough. I mean, basically, all these teams are going to drop points. Well. It's gonna, it's gonna go down to the wire. I think. I think. I'd be shocked if, I'd be shocked if we won this league any, any sooner than the second last. Oh, the the anxiety of it all, and I think a couple of people in our groups but talk about recently. They were like, "Who on earth enjoys run-ins? <laughs> Just get it out of the way. It it is horrific. It really is. It's the the feeling of dread." That you get coming up to these games, but that's football. Yeah. That's why we watch. Give me it. the twenty twenty one one all day where yeah. we scored an injury time in Richmond Park and we were twelve points ahead and it was easy. Mm. Give me that all day. Yeah, it is. It's tough. It's tough to deal with. But then you know you get your moments like the Shells three two and the Gaffney winner like potentially could get moments like that again. The fear is that it will go the other way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, that is it for this week, Prof. We have a massive, massive game. Make sure you get everybody out. We are still going with the affiliate scheme for the tickets. Bring your whole team. Jaden's bringing his Francis team to this one. Um, bring your whole squad along with your affiliates. Um, get the kids out. Buy an adult ticket, and the whole kid, the whole team can come for free. So get themselves down to the Tallis Stadium to watch the hoop. So that is it for this week, and uh, keep on hooping. See ya. Stands on golden sands and watches the ships that go sailing somewhere beyond the sea. He's there watching for me. If I could fly like birds on high, then straight to her.
Happy will be 